0: Tune in to the Neil Prendiville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM.
1: Paperwise this morning, if you ever wondered an example of how, say, for instance, the Barry Cowan story was quiet for a while, maybe it wasn't quiet everywhere, and in his own locale and counties around him, uh, they possibly knew about the drink-driving conviction. I mentioned that, actually, because one that we knew on Side, because it was talked about back at the time, was the um, prosecution of uh, the Sinn Féin TD, Pat Buckley, uh, and he has come out again and spoken about it yet again. He was revealed that he was driving on a learner driver permit when he was caught driving in 2013. But we all knew about that uh, and spoke about it very much at the time on, on side. But it makes the front of the Irish Independent this morning. So for many Irish people, I suppose, they're seeing that story for the first time. Whereas in the region or the locale surrounding the TD, we would have known about it. So it's on the front of the Independent this morning, as in second TD admits ban for drink driving while on a learner permit. To the best of my knowledge... Uh, Since he served that ban, Pat Buckley never applied for a license again, neither a provisional nor his test for his full driving license i believe he relies on trains and buses and friends and relations to drive him around his constituency and to a large extent it hasn't affected his work rate not having a motor car but i think he is going to apply for the test now sometime into the future but Noel clancy who lost his wife geraldine at the age of 58 and his 22 year old daughter louise in 2015 said the trauma and the heartbreak never goes away When you lose somebody to a driver or an unaccompanied L driver, as was the case, with regards to his his wife and daughter. But he has invited Barry Cowan now to come down to the cemetery where my wife and daughter are buried. And I'll explain to him the serious problems with unaccompanied learner drivers. It's a story from the mirror today. Uh, COVID hasn't gone away, as you know. America is still a basket case. I mean, you're talking about like hundreds of thousands of positive tests on a daily basis there still. But over a million people have downloaded the COVID app in 48 hours. And uh, we put links online on my Instagram page and stuff like that if you... Want to download it yourself? But here in the news, there the demand for treatment for cocaine addiction soars. Uh, it's trebled over six years now. This is addiction, so you imagine the amount of people uh, that have started to have taken up cocaine. And haven't gone for addiction counselling in the last six years through the roof. Men make up eight out of the ten cocaine cases each year since 2013 when they really started to track uh, cocaine use. And of course, like many drugs, but cocaine very much so. Uh, those that use it tot taught about drug use and drug abuse and drug dealers while at the same time snorting it up their nose. But there's a, a new drug around now, um, and I don't know how prevalent it is in Cork, but it certainly... Um, uh, uh, an issue in Dublin and it's uh, it's laughing gas uh, now it's got a few different names laughing gas is one of them another one is hippie crack uh, and some people call it silver bullets now that's because they're tiny metal canisters and they look like silver bullets and they're being popped uh, popping up in all sorts of places now because people inhale them uh, they also inhale the gas from balloons um, it's nitrous oxide I don't know how prevalent it is here on Lisa, But it's very cheap and very easily available on Lisa. I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time because I did a little bit of research into it yesterday, see if I could buy it. Uh, and you can. It's usually used by chefs uh, in the catering industry. Um, I think it might be used to fluff things up, um, you know, cream and, and soufflés and stuff like that. But a moment to correction a little bit. But, but cocaine um, and other kind of substance-inducing products make the papers this morning because of uh, Johnny Depp's... Um, defamation and libel case against the Sun newspaper and uh, his life really is being poured out in front of his eyes. He's denying everything in court with regards to being uh, a wife-beater. His ex, Amber Heard, will also give evidence in the future. was a very interesting photo. I mean, they talk about the the, the alleged beatings and, you know, slappings and fights and rows and, you know, threatening to put her dog in the microwave and all sorts of stuff like that. But there is a photograph uh, that was shown in court uh, yesterday um, purported to be long to Johnny Depp, some recreational activity of Johnny Depp that involved four lines of cocaine and a pint of whiskey. Mother of God, he said. Uh, he said to some guy as a joke that he was going to cook. Uh, Amber Heard's dog in in the microwave. Little pet pooch. I've been following that. Maybe you are too on a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's a horror story, really, no matter what we look at it. Papers also talked today of partying in Cork. Remember we were talking about that uh, uh, 80 people who travelled to Bandon by bus in the city in Carrigaline. Uh, it's a story picked up on the Echo this morning to attend a house party. Of course, that's a breach of public health guidelines. And the event was scheduled to kick off early on Tuesday afternoon. The guards became aware of it and they dispersed the party goers. Now, I have a statement from the Garda Chacon with regards to that, which I will come back to, but there are many, many house parties going on. Of course, all age groups like to be absolutely honest with you. But wouldn't you know that the banks would find a way to make money uh, out of um, out of of COVID nineteen? The you know the 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 deferring of some mortgage interest payments, of course, is going to incur extra penalties when things get back on track. So the banks are literally making money now for doing nothing at all, and that's why banks for nothing is a headline making this morning 's mirror, but the overago who 's now the Tonishista wants working from home to become the new normal for most office workers for some it was suit. For others, it won't. And then other people will take a blend of both, I suppose. But in the UK, they're storming ahead with Richie Sunak. I was watching this in Sky News yesterday. All of a sudden, much to the surprise of everything, he gave out a lucky bag of stuff. A thousand euro bonus for every workers, every worker that companies bring back from furlough, cash to take on trainees and apprentices, um, an eight month temporary cut Actually, it's a freeze of stamp duty with no charges on property transactions under half a million. No stamp duty. Um, Eat out to help out. A 10 euro per head to get Britons back to restaurants, cafes and pubs. 10 euro vouchers. But the real one that's going to be of interest to those involved in, um, you know, particularly anything to do with the service industries, tourism, restaurant, bars and hotels. A cut in VAT on food accommodation and tourist attractions, a cut from 20% to 5% for the rest of the year. I mean, if that happened here, as it should, it would be a real boon and a lifesaver to many pubs, restaurants, anybody involved in tourism, hotels, guest houses, all that kind of thing. Ireland is set for the big windfall. We hope to see a ruling next week. There will be a ruling next week from the EU, which should, if everything goes according to plan, um, paved the way for Ireland to take the 14 billion from Apple. Now what they spend it on will be for another day's work but if Cork City wants to survive, um, it's a story from the Echo today, uh, then uh, many of the businesses of course have closed there. And We were doing some work on this last week where Seamus walked around Patrick Street but the Echo this morning remind us now and you can add to the list there of Clark's Shoe Shop. They've announced their closure of their city centre store so Clark's Monsoon, Accessorize, Debenhams have all left the street. Uh, Oasis have left the main street as well. They're doing a everything-must-go liquidation sale at the moment in there. Lifestyle moved from Patrick Street, Uh, Lifestyle Sport. Eason's uh, will be moving their branch from, you know, their store from Patrick Street to another location. Uh, So none of that is good. But Eddie Mullins inside in Fitzgerald says the way forward really is to see more restaurants and more independent smaller Irish businesses taking up the main street now, that will be very much rent-related, I suppose. Uh, the Red Tops also talk about um, a possible presidential hopeful um, when Trump's reign of whatever you want to call it <laughs> comes to an end, the back end of the year. And it should include uh, Kanye West, who is anti-abortion, anti-vax and pro-school prayers. There are some of the things that they'll be running uh, his presidential campaign back end of this year on uh, Kanye West throwing his hat into the uh, into the ring and also they come out this morning with the top ten families on television right um, it's it's kind of interesting because it's not really the shows but the families within the shows and The Simpsons come out number one. The Trotters from Fools and Horses, number two. The Royal Family, number three. The Adams, the Flintstones, the Griffins and lots that I know nothing of. The Shipmans, the Moffats, the Malones and the Goodmans. Where are the Waltons? Where are the Ingalls from Little House in the Prairie gone, huh? The Neil Prenderville Show.
2: With Tesco,
3: save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie.
1: Morning all, text 0868104106. Our so lines are open, your calls are welcome. Pick up the phone. And also, I want to come back a little later on to more people that are being scammed by rogues or cads um, uh, online. There's another one from the Telegraph that I read at the weekend uh, of a woman in the UK who's one of 14, 1,400 people since March, who have fallen victim to romantic scams and fraudsters online. I have another one of those stories for you. you. You read them and you wonder, how in the name of God did you get suckered in? But they fall in love with them online. That's the problem. And they believe and they're lonely and uh, they end up giving them all sorts of money. And I'm um, anyway, more on that a little later on. But talking about all sorts of money, straight to the phone as we go. Noel, good morning.
3: Good morning, how are you?
1: I mentioned this yesterday uh, that uh, the private hospitals, the matter included, are now charging big amounts of money uh, for a COVID test and if you don't do the COVID test, you can't go into the hospital for treatment, isn't that it?
3: Well, it's actually not even a COVID test, it's because of COVID. Um, my husband has been going to the matter private during lockdown and obviously since they have come back into the private sector now um, we got a letter a couple of weeks ago for his appointment which was this week Uh, Breaking down the charges, which were the normal charges, and we were fine with that. And then he went on Wednesday to go and settle up, and he didn't have enough money with him because there was this additional seventy-five euro charge.
1: But you know all of those charges, like would he be going there with private health insurance?
3: Uh, We do have private health insurance, but obviously it depends on what plan you have. Ah, right.
1: um, So there would have been some. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it was these these extra surprise ones. What were they?
3: Um, basically, it was a €75 euro charge um, that we knew nothing about. Now, they said it's new. It's only introduced this Monday. And um, we a just taken aback and kind of caught off guard, um, unaware of it, didn't know what it was for, um, just still paid it. Um, when he came home to me, we rang and we queried the, pay- the charge because I thought, like you, that it was an actual test. Like a screening or something, but yeah, no.
1: yeah. Because no, though they were two hundred and thirty-five, but you paid for those, yeah. But there was the extra one on top of it, yeah.
3: Yeah, so like we had our consultancy, and he was on the hotel manager, so he had to pay for that as well. And like they were expected, um, but it was just this additional charge that we knew nothing about because nothing extra was done. No COVID test. Like he was questioned, obviously going in. He wore a mask and all that, um. But it's just. A bit, um, it was a bit of a shock to us. Obviously, he's on sick pay, so €75 Euro coming out of that is, is, is quite a bit. And what did the they
1: explain the charge away as being?
3: The, when we ran and queried it, they said it was because of um, being in COVID and that the additional measures that they've had to put in place. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can COVID I just tell you what they call it? They call it a diagnostic outpatient test. Was he tested for COVID then? No. So, what was the charge for? Uh,
3: yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, it wasn't tested at all. Um, they uh, explained to me that it was because of the measures they've had to put in place, i.e. like um, social distancing, PPE, um, sanitization and all that. Um,
1: yeah, but like, you know, are, are hotels doing that where people visit? Are, are pubs, Our nice, restaurants, Our tourist attractions? No.
3: You know, I, I, that's exactly what we said to ourselves last night and we were like God if, if every shop was doing that we'd be charged like five euro every time we go in the door but um, no I, I appreciate like I've spoken to them down in the matter private and they said there's a lot more It's this the directive that has come from above but uh, to be honest, like I know it's a new charge, but I mean we knew nothing of it. No, uh, no. I'm sure a lot of other people are so aware. So the, the, the standard
1: case. charge for a, uh, for a day, pa- he didn't o- he didn't overnight in there. Sure, he didn't. He was an inpatient.
3: No, 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 no. It was, um, he was an outpatient. And- an outpatient visit,
1: yeah. So like he was on a halt to monitor. Yeah. And so he was an, he was an outpatient. He goes in and out on the same day. That's yeah. a 75 euro charge. If he had stayed okay. overnight, right? He'd have had yeah. that 75 euro charge. And on top of that, he would have been asked to pay himself, you guys, another 275. I um, so, yeah. For an overnight for COVID testing.
3: I presume so And then the
1: deal is then you pay it and you go back to your health insurance and hope that they'll give it back to you
3: They won't at the moment uh, even according to the receptionist yesterday she said to me that they're in negotiations with the health insurance companies Um, but again that depends on your plan whether you'll be able to claim that back or not
1: Well the three big ones VHI, Leia and Irish Life Health have uh, as much as they said is that they're in talks with private hospitals over the charges but that's all
3: That's exactly it. Um, I mean, I I, I think we were just taken very aback yesterday. Um, I was shocked actually when when he came home. I was like, what has happened? You know, because obviously, like we had gotten the letter. um, No, I appreciate it. It was a new charge just recently introduced.
1: But for his share of sanitization and masks or physical distancing in the hospital, Seventy-five euros—a lot of money, like for for him to yeah. cough up, for every one individual to cough up.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I the reason I contacted you was basically I th- I thought people should be aware. Um, I know they are making efforts to contact uh, people now, but it's still a lot of money for Is it
1: just um? The, oh, it is, of course. I mean, it's particularly when you're not expecting it. Is the bonds the same?
3: From what I've I've heard mixed reports. Um, I've heard that they're charging 100 euro but I think that's more for a COVID test rather than Uh, social distancing charge or whatever it may be.
1: But it's a private hospital isn't it so I imagine that there are extra charges I can check that but what we certainly know is 275 for people undergoing an inpatient procedure and 75 for you know the outpatient, outpatient where you're in on the same day yeah alright okay thanks for that appreciate it Noel. no problem thanks, thanks for sharing for cheers just uh-huh. one other thing there with regards to the changing face of Patrick Street I gave you a list of some of the businesses that have either closed or moved locations the ones that closed of course are significant one or two are just moving one is Lifestyle who have moved the other is Easons, who are going to move but other shops gone from Patrick Street uh, the old AIB Bank near Waterstones uh, you know the bookshop the old IIB Bank there nothing happening retail estate opposite the old Mandy's, uh, Debenhams, Monsoon, Hairspray, Calendar Club, Vila, the move of lifestyle sports, the old Codmore's where Vodafone were, and the shoe shop opposite Merchants Key Shopping Centre, gone a number of years, uh, and now Clark's Shoes, but as I was saying earlier on this morning, Clark's have announced their closure there as well. So, tough times on Patrick Street, and I think they really need to rethink a lot of things, but a lot of it, of course, is controlled by one thing, and that's rent and rates. Uh, and it's interesting then in the UK that they make sweeping changes to VAT, dropping the VAT rate from 20% to 5%. That will make a huge difference. It's also interesting because I'm starting to get texts uh, and stories over the past couple of days. You know, you heard of the 26 pubs that could well be prosecuted nationally now. Uh, there's files gone off to the DPP because uh, many pubs were acting the Egypt. And then when the guards visited, they corrected it and changed and. There's too many people in their pubs around the country and some weren't doing food and all the kind of stuff like that. But then when they revisited again, 26 were still acting the maggot and now there's files gone to the DPP. But I came across a story from over the weekend from a group of lads who had three pints in one pub with no food. Then they went to the next pub where they had six pints. A menu was put down and they said, oh, we will order a little later on. Nobody ever came back and they never ordered food. So three in one pub moved on to the next one, six in the other pub. And then a third pub, where they had another three or four pints uh, never there was there was sups all right, but there wasn 't a bit as in nothing passed their lips but went for food. another pub then allegedly offering receipts but no food um, and then one or two which I'm not one hundred percent sure of which which talks about like jammed par bars and uh, live bands playing i don 't buy that I think that 's probably a rogue text because you 'd never get away with a booming pub with a live band, but I have heard stories in the past of uh, Some pubs, these are, I'm talking about Cork now at this stage, who are giving bogus receipts. Um, for food, although no food is served. Text 0868104106. Back after the break.
0: Text the Neil Prendiville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Does
1: anybody know of any other businesses or sections of retail or industry or commerce that is making extra charges now, taking more money or putting in an extra charge because of COVID? Get in touch. Text 0868104106. Lisa calls it COVID profiteering. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Neil. And How thank are you? you so
1: much for holding. Appreciate it. Tell us your own story regarding your son.
4: Well, it's just so funny. I'm just back from taking him up to the bond for a COVID test because he's having a procedure tomorrow, a very minor procedure. Um, yesterday, we got a call to say, come up for a COVID test. Your appointment is five past eight. And we went up, and they're lovely now, really lovely up there. And the lovely nurse said, um, you know, it'll be 100 year olds now for this test. And I said, well, nobody. Not, not that, you know, I've no problem with it, but nobody told us number one she said no one knows when they come up they get a shock um, and then well, now we know it's not on the health insurance yeah it's not on health insurance and unless People negotiate with their health insurance. And, like, my point is, really, you know, why is it 100? You know, where do they justify the 100 euros? You know, if everybody's getting it, you know, why not 50 or 60? I don't know, where
1: where are those stats that we had yesterday? We had a stat yesterday from uh, Dr. Nick Flynn. Um, He was breaking down the cost of sending it to a lab in Dublin. I think he came in at about, I think he was saying it was something like 90 euro to have that processed in a, in a lab or something could that be the reason why they're charging 100
4: maybe, maybe but it's the fact that they don't t- they just yes they got the call to say this is your, what you're doing you're coming up like if somebody had said it's going to be 100 euros you obviously have to have it for the procedure you're you're having I presume everybody has to have it now before they do anything but it's just it feels like they're you know they, they have yeah they have you in a corner yeah, yeah. but know,
1: people don't know and it's kind of embarrassing yeah. if you rock up and you have health insurance and you don't have cash with you 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 just, yeah, well some they, people they mightn't have. Aren't you? The,
4: they weren't looking for the fee there and then, um, but I presume it'll be part of you know my bill at the end of the, the whole the whole thing, you know. So, but it's just to make people aware. Really, it's kind of shocking, you know, that they don't warn in advance. You
1: know? Yeah, he was saying yesterday, Doctor Nick. I might get him on actually. I don't know if he's free for a couple of minutes on this. He says it costs approximately ninety-eight euro to send a swab to a lab in Dublin.
4: What? So is that the delivery service
1: or what? No, no. maybe it includes delivery, but it also includes, what's the word for testing and coming up with the results, I suppose. Whatever procedure they go through to see if your son has COVID-19. I don't know, but I I don't know. That's what he says, €98.00 it's yeah. an awful lot of money for a test isn't it it's
4: crazy especially for something that wasn't didn't exist there months ago you know I, it's funny like is that, what, is that what it's like for all other um, tests you know it's I don't know I, I don't know and tell mean, me this
1: do you know if VHI or Leia or any of them are going to pay it
4: I well, I wasn't on to them, but the the lovely nurse said, as far as she knows, they're not. It's not covered at the moment, but they're in the negotiation. Oh, for state. God's sake! So right. I don't know. She said, "Ring and see," but I I would hold my breath now. To be honest with you. All right.
1: Okay. I hope all is well. When when actually when does he get the result then?
4: Um. Oh, there'll be no result if it's uh, if it's negative. But if it's positive, they'll ring today. So it's a twenty four hour thing. Obviously, he has to have it in before tomorrow morning like so yeah they'll get back. isn't it
1: funny that there's no private clinics doing these kind of things
4: no Cheaper i don't know i, I don't know nothing i know nothing about it because this is our first time okay. ever. Know all right. to do all yeah. right
1: 100 euro charge at the bonds thanks for that lisa yeah. thank you Bye so much you. as you talk about people who work within hospitals um this is a from a nurse who tested positive for COVID 19 uh, I don't know if you can share this on air or talk about it, but if, if you can, I'd really appreciate it. I'm a nurse, five years qualified. I started work in a new hospital just before COVID hit us. Uh, as all of your, well, as, as all of the posters said, um, I too was terrified of what was to come. As soon as COVID arrived in Ireland, myself and my colleagues decided to wear surgical masks as a precaution on the ward. We couldn't practice social distancing, so surgical masks made sense. The very first day, this is way back at the beginning, the very first day we wore them, our manager told us to take them off. Uh, Many nurses refused, so she garnered the support of infection control managers, who also then told us to remove the masks. There was huge arguments on the floor. Many of us felt we were in danger not wearing the masks. We also worried for our patients. Nursing admin were called in to deal with the situation. We were ordered to remove the masks immediately. I protested but was warned and threatened that I was new to the hospital and on a temporary contract. I had no choice but to remove my mask. I needed my job. Long story short, 16 of us, including nurses and healthcare assistants, contracted COVID on that ward alone in just one week. The same management moved a patient onto our ward a week later who had one negative swab. Two days later, his condition deteriorated and he was swabbed again. This time, he tested positive. One by one, the staff started testing positive, including two more patients who also contracted it. Two nurses on the ward were agency nurses who worked in other hospitals. I don't know how many were infected in those hospitals, but I know a lot of staff were infected throughout our hospital. The staff who stood their ground and continued to wear masks, even though they faced disciplinary action, did not contract the virus. Well done to them for standing up for themselves. I became so sick that I was hospitalized. I genuinely have never been so sick in all my life. My biggest worry was who I had infected. I know I must have infected others, including patients, and the guilt of that is awful. I also worried for my aging parents... I wish I had been braver at the time and worn that mask, but I was under so much pressure to take it off. I'm home now, but I have irreversible lung damage. I never smoked in my life, but I have the lungs of a person of 80 who smoked all their lives. In my time in hospital, none of those managers came to see me. I haven't heard a peep from them since either, but I hear they are going around patting themselves on the back for a job well done. A month later, as you know, it became became mandatory to wear face masks. A month too late for me and for so many others. I'm still out of work. I'm on nebulizers and inhalers and many different drugs. I can't walk too far uh, because i become short of breath. My consultant said he doesn't know if I'll ever be able to work again. All my life I wanted to be a nurse and this is how it ended up, just as I started my new job. I just wanted my story to be told. I hope when all this calms down that there'll be an inquiry. And that the inquiry will ask those of us on the ground how we were actually treated. And I hope those managers will be made accountable. They never had to put themselves in danger dealing with patients, but they expected us to do so unprotected for too long. And that's how it ended for me and for others. Ireland has the worst statistics for infected healthcare staff in the world. There is a reason for that. And I really hope it's not just brushed under the carpet. We deserve to have our voices heard. And we deserve justice. Wish all my frontline colleagues throughout Ireland the very best of luck. Continue to be brave and always wear your mask no matter what. I think of you every day. And God bless you all. And that's from uh, a nurse who tested positive and is now very sick. You know, there's a lot of rehab involved from people who are hit very badly by COVID. A lot of lung damage. People have to be taught how to walk again. It can be so bad. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 086-8104-106. Lots of calls on the way.
0: This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red
1: FM. And they changed her name, actually, for this story. One of the 1,400 people in the UK since March who've fallen victim to romance scams. They call her Mary. Um, and apparently this was a fraudster who pretended to be somebody else. Um, you know, the, most of the time these meetings happen online, you know, it starts out as, you know, exchanging messages and then there might be uh, conversations online. But she was a 53 year old from London and she met her scammer on a, an online dating site in February. And she said we would speak every day, she said. He told me he was a businessman living in Los Angeles Um he had said that he would visit me. He said he'd visit her in March after a business trip to Russia that he'd come back to the UK from Russia to meet her. But when COVID-19 began to spread around Europe, he called Mary to say that his flight had been cancelled out of Russia, that his credit card had been stolen and that he tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, She says, I was so worried about him. He made me think that he was going to marry me. He said he couldn't pay hospital bills in Russia without a credit card. So I transferred him some money. I was in love and I thought he was dying. Uh, I received voicemails supposedly from Russian doctors and nurses at his bedside and photos of him hooked up to a ventilator. Uh, So she sent him money, but then she went out and she took out loans worth £11,500 and she also went and borrowed money from her mother. In total, she gave him £17,000 before eventually in May, she got a call from the American embassy in Moscow because she had contacted them to help him, the American Embassy of Moscow, that there was a, an American in Moscow that needed their help. They came back to her and said, uh, sorry, um, it's a scam. You've been scammed. She said, I was so ashamed. I wanted to die. Now, she was very lucky because her bank reimbursed the 17 grand, which uh, she used then to pay off the debts to, you know, different loan agencies or what have you. Uh, but on average, in the month of May alone, nearly 600 people are losing money to romance scams in the UK. I wonder what the figure is here and the, the Telegraph was saying that on average they lose 8000 pounds. So he probably was doing that to multiples of women um, and Mary's story is just one example of them. But they give some advice like and what you know that it's like for instance that photograph that he sent allegedly a photograph of him hooked up to a ventilator. You can do something on Google to see if that photograph is legit or what they call stock images, you know? which are just up online anyway, and people could just use any photograph. So apparently you can do a thing called a reverse image search. I never knew about that. Where you can check if the photograph is valid and from the person who it's claimed to be. They also say that anybody who doesn't meet you in person, you need to be very wary of. And the minute they ask for money, you do two things. You walk away and you call the police. She did neither, And of course, thought she was in love and got stung for £17,000. I mean, her shame and I suppose will cause all sorts of depression and anxiety in her life, thinking that the man was in love with her. And, of course, all he was interested in was her money. And I told you yesterday of stories of people who sold their houses to give money to another character, another fraudster. They actually met him, actually. They, were, they had relationships with this guy. But all he was interested in was cleaning out their bank account and then getting them to sell their houses. He got caught in the end, got 10 years jail. Now, yesterday, uh, I read out a handwritten letter from uh, a man who... And the letter as, I do my crying in the rain, I do my crying in secret. We got a big response to this by phone, by text, and we posted it online, and an awful lot of people responded to the predicament that he finds himself in. Um, he's battling every day not to end his life. Um, he cries when his wife and kids go, go to bed To The whole world, he seems like the perfect dad, friend and work colleague, uh, but he's drinking too much, uh, he's overeating for comfort, um, he's suffering from anxiety, depression, shame, uh, and it is a very dark place, drinks too much. And then the next day he finds he's in an even darker place again. And he's fighting every day not to take his own life. But he's told nobody. And I was trying to give him some advice yesterday that he really does need to at least have a conversation with his wife, that she won't be annoyed with him or upset and he shouldn't feel ashamed or anything He is like many people who are suffering with mental health issues and there's nothing to be ashamed of there. But that's easy to say. Uh, For me, it's a very different scenario for somebody going through it. To the phone lines we go. Graham, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. I know you do a lot of life coaching, helping people and you speak in public about your own situation. Um, You saw or heard that letter yesterday. Did it ring true for you? It
5: did. It did on, on, I suppose, on a lot of levels. I could resonate with a lot of what he was saying. Um, particularly around the the crying alone and the shame. I felt a lot of shame around how I was feeling, so I would do things alone and put on a facade to the world that everything was okay when it clearly wasn't.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you see, like, he doesn't go into the reasons why he finds himself in this situation. Maybe there don't need to be reasons. It just comes upon you, is it? Well,
5: I like personally. I believe, and I I would have the same belief for all my clients and everybody else. That everything happens for a reason. Now, everything happens for a reason with mental health as well. And I suppose he's feeling a certain way for a reason. Something has happened somewhere along the line as to why he feels like that. It wouldn't just suddenly come on. And I mean, like I was in therapy years ago, and I would always say that you know if I was distressed and come into therapy, I would say, "Look, this emotion just came out of nowhere." It's here for, you know, basically saying that it's here for no reason. Yeah. But in the, in the therapy, my therapist was like, everything happens for a reason. Oh, yeah.
1: It's just he doesn't say. And and I'm looking at a man who has a wife who loves him, children who adore him, work colleagues who he gets on with. And I'm thinking, like, he's got so much going from that others don't have. So what's the underlying? He says, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth and I don't know where to turn to or how I can beat this.
5: Yeah. See, there's a lack of clarity in his head there and what that means is he doesn't know where to turn to so he just doesn't know and sometimes you know when you're feeling how he is or how I was we're only engrossed in our own experience we can't see any other way that's why we need something outside of ourselves to guide us you know like you did yesterday with the advice you know even have a conversation with his wife Um, I would advise a mental health professional or even an
1: anonymous phone line like Pieta House or Samaritans yeah you gave out all those details yesterday what was your own situation because uh, you had a rocky start didn't you
5: Yeah, like even from the age of seven, there was self-harm, there was bullying, Um, at 11 then there was drugs, 12 there was alcohol, 13 there was my first psychiatrist uh, appointment and it just went more and more downhill and it was from a very young age. And I was battling with that myself for nearly, nearly 20 odd years now. I know,
1: I know, expelled from school, rehab at 16, yeah.
5: Yeah, and it just went completely downhill. But basically, like, I had to process what I was feeling. And that's where you were going yesterday with, the, you know, the converse, with this man in a conversation with his wife or a mental health professional or an anonymous phone line. You need to start somewhere. And it starts by sharing what you're, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. And he, it sounds like he's not doing that at the minute in the way that he's putting on the facade for everyone. You know what I mean? And that's valid. You know what I mean? You don't want to just tell the whole world, oh, I'm feeling like this. Because there's a fear of judgment from others. But when you withhold it completely, which it sounds like he is, it just compounds the suffering. But
1: you know what all of the issues that you had from a young age, this was obviously very visible to lots of different people, including probably family members. Did they talk to you about it?
5: They did. They, They always tried to, I mean, actions speak louder than words. I always had a fear about verbalizing how I was feeling or what I was thinking or doing. For a couple of reasons, I just touched on their fear of judgment. And I thought people would think, Jesus Christ, Graham's off the wall. Graham is nuts or Graham is broken or there's something wrong with him, you know. So there was a few reasons. That was the main one. That was like my strongest one. But my family would always try and get it out of me somehow. But I would just put up a block verbally and I would act out and act out in ways. I mean, just ways that would be very destructive. You know, I was just so ashamed of how I was feeling that I kept it all
1: in. But and by was, but by nineteen, it was so overwhelming that you tried to end your life.
5: Yeah, I, at nineteen, yeah, that was my first suicide attempt. And were there more, know, was there yeah. more than one? Yeah, there was there was actually five uh, suicide attempts. Three of them were actual genuine. I just did not want to be here anymore. And two, I will admit, were cries for help.
1: Did the cries for help were they the first ones? Uh, the first
5: the first two, um, and then there was a cry for help. Then there was a serious one again. And then there was another cry for help and I eventually turned everything around. And it's like, it's so in-depth, like I'm currently writing a book on the, on the subject itself because it's so in-depth, Neil, that I can't just throw out a few things and say, look, this is going to work. But you imagine the, Oh, I know,
1: but you imagine the amount of people who were like you and, and actually did take their own lives, you know?
5: Yeah, yeah, like I know at least 10 people. Over, over the course of my thirty-two years, basically, that um, that have actually ended their life, and they were close to me. You know, it, it's 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 horrendous. And to be honest, it's again like I do a lot of work with with men and young men um, with a program called Zen Men. And the statistics say that seventy-five percent of suicides are men. You know, it's um, and it's not look, it's not specific to men only, obviously, but the statistics say that it's higher in men. And there's a lot of um, I suppose lack of expression within men that's and the way right. they are yeah, there's right. a lot of shame around men, that men are, Is it yeah. that women are better talkers is it? They say yeah I feel, I feel that yeah and like I've chatted to lots of, of women about this as well in the way that they just find it easier to you know sit down maybe have a glass of wine and just chat about everything that's going on. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah, they verbalize better, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah, whereas men will go out to the pub, have a few beers, and they'll probably end up in a fight with someone at the end of the night because they're suppressing,
1: suppressing, suppressing. He says, I'm a weak, pitiful crybaby when I'm all alone. I can't talk to my wife or family. He he describes himself, and this is very complimentary to, him, to himself, really. And on the other hand, he says, I cry because of the constant battle I have in my head to end my life. And to be rid of all of the ill feelings I have, I'm a hero to my kids, a man's man to my wife, a joker to my friends, and a leader amongst my teammates, and a coach to the kids that I've trained. But he still calls himself a weak, pitiful crybaby.
5: Yeah, see, that's pu- that's that's judgment of self. You know what I mean? And even with the thoughts that are going around this head, there's no shame in having them thoughts. There's zero. That's the problem with it. You know, you're thinking like that. Oh, my God, there's something wrong with you or, you know, you're broken. No, just no, there's not. What it means is that if he was to approach himself in a way that allowed himself to express himself, there's a big difference in that, because when you judge and you say, look at you, you're pitiful, you know, crybaby and everything else. How, how does he think that's going to make him feel? It's going to compound how he's feeling. It's going to make him feel a lot worse. It's the judgment of self is the issue
1: there, not the actual thoughts themselves. Well, he doesn't say that in the letter, though. He he refers to the judgment of others and the, and the shame of it. The judgment uh, of others? Well, in the sense that part of it he says uh, he he doesn't want to. I cannot talk to my wife or family about my problems over the embarrassment, disappointment I feel I will put upon myself and them. He, he's afraid of how they'll react to him. Yeah, and, and look,
5: that's valid as well. You know, not everyone is going to take it like in a supportive, kind, compassionate manner. Some people may kind of go, "Well, what's wrong with you?" It's about finding the people who are non-judgmental, who are not going to sit up on their high horse and tell you how to feel in a certain so way. So, would
1: it, would I it be incorrect to say, sit down and talk to your wife who loves you dearly? Well, if he feels that he
5: can't go to his wife, then in his mind, that's not an option.
1: Okay, but for you, it took, but for you, it took hospitalization, didn't it?
5: Yeah, I took. I was in the psychiatric ward nine times. Over the period of around eight years, no less, about about
1: seven years, I think. Why so many times? Um, I was in
5: absolute crisis, Neil. I was completely destructive (laughs) towards myself and others. I had a I don't care attitude um, to the point where if I'd done something and I died, I, I just didn't care, to be honest with you. I felt that I deserved to suffer because of things that I did in the past Which, through years of therapy, were actually not my fault at all. And it's typical of someone who goes through trauma, they blame themselves. You know, like if someone was, if a female was, you know, unfortunately raped, it's, you know, she thinks that, she may think that she was, it's her fault. Even though it's absolutely not clear. It's, it's, it's the same kind of yeah. Because, yeah. yeah
1: it's it makes no time sense time. to me when I hear that, but I, I, I feel for those that do feel that. Of course it's yeah. all wrong. And were you were you highly medicated then on all of those occasions?
5: Yeah, I was. It was a, it was an awful concoction of psychiatric medication, uh, alcohol and drugs all combined together. Um I destroyed myself for years basically and I didn't care Neil as I said because I just blamed myself for things that happened to me as a child.
1: And what and about what about the birth of your first child was that not a wake up call?
5: That was to be honest it was the one one of the best days of my life and temporarily in the way that it was amazing I, I seen the birth I, I you know I looked forward you know to the future and everything else but that suddenly changed uh overall because I looked forward to the future and I went, oh no, I can't do this. And then I felt a lot of pressure and in came the thoughts then, the self-judgmental thoughts of, you know, you're a scumbag, you're, you're going to be a terrible father, you might as well die, is going to have no chance with you around, you're better off dead. And it just went on and on and on. And again, I just like that man who wrote that letter I suppressed it all, I suppressed it all I felt that I couldn't turn to anyone and it was going round in my head like a washing machine over and over and over again until I acted in a way that put me in the psychiatric ward
1: Luckily enough I survived That was another attempt on your life then? Yeah, that was one of the other ones And how did you silence those voices ultimately?
5: Okay, so there was like, there was years of of therapy going on there, Neil Um, There was lots of support I mean, I had a psychiatrist. I had a psychologist. I had a psychotherapist. I had a crisis nurse and a crisis team in CUH. And um, there was times where I had the guards involved. There was there was lots like there was just lots of
1: support around me. Um, and sounds like when you mentioned guards that you were that you were lucky, you were lucky you didn't do a spell in jail. Yeah, look, you know
5: when you are. Hurt, hurt people hurt people. So when you are destroyed as a human being, you're going to act out of it, out of that way in a certain way itself. And yes, I came across the guards a couple of times where I was actually on the bridge by St. Finbar's Hospital, uh, ready to throw myself Oh, off. I see. OK, yeah. Yeah. And then they brought me up to GF and stuff like that. And they were like they were a helping hand in, in, in my recovery
1: as well. They were actually very good to me. Um, and what period bad. of your life was this? Are we talking about recently or the distant past? or when?
5: No, we're talking But I'd say, I'm nearly four years clean and sober. And that was the turning point. I knew that, like, anytime I went into my psychiatrist, Neil, she was like, you know, have you taken drink or drugs this week? And I would say no. And as I, as, I was, as I was saying no, I was coming down from drugs. You know what I mean? Just in pure denial.
1: Um, oh, so you were lying?
5: Yeah, I was lying at times and other times then I, I came out with the truth and she would say that, Graham, look, we can't help you if you're using that amount of drinking drugs. We can't get through to you fully. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then four years ago, I said, that's it. I am focusing on myself. And basically in that moment when I started focusing on myself, I had years of being obese, 19 stone, comfort eating, medication, you know, alcohol and drugs, self-destruction, on my couch crying and thinking of ways to end my life. And I said, at that point, I've seen the darkest of the dark here now. I wonder what the other side of this is like. What can I do? What can I do that's right? What did you do? How long do you have, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot. There was a lot of work put in. There was a lot of um if you if you if you half ass effort, right, you get half assed results. And I knew that from relapsing all the time. So this time I was all in. I was fully committed. I started to put into practice the skills I learned on a therapy called dialectical behavior therapy. Lots of mindfulness, lots of emotional regulation, lots of coping skills. Uh, I knew I could not go it alone, so I reached out for support. And not only did I reach out for support, but I actually received that support.
1: Was that you know, aware? That? Was that Pieda House? Was it calling?
5: Yeah, so I had three stints in Pieda House at that point, And... I was constantly working with my psychiatrist since I was 19. And I had Peter House, I had my psychiatrist, I had Arbor House, I had AA and NA meetings, I had friends who had kind of been down the road that I wanted to go. I was practicing mindfulness, I was opening up from my heart and sharing with people that I found would
1: be non-judgmental. So he's got to do all of that. He's got a journey ahead of him, but I think if he's listening... Um, you're describing his life and he's describing yours. I mean, there's huge similarities there and lots of hope. Do you like yourself now? Neil, genuinely,
5: I love myself. And for someone who even five years ago did not care, I hated myself so much that I just did not care if I dropped dead in the morning. I just wouldn't care. I didn't care about my behavior. I didn't care how people felt. I just had it. I don't give a S-H-I-T I know, attitude. I know, you know, I know what I mean? And like, just just to touch on the point you mentioned there, Neil, that to this guy, yes, there's a road ahead. Now, I wouldn't say a big, huge road, as in like you have a big mountain to climb, because that may feel a small bit of added pressure to him. So what I would like to say to him, if he is listening, and I hope you were, or if someone knows him and would like to pass on this message, um, if they feel they know him through the anonymous letter, is that... What's the smallest thing I can do right now? What's the smallest step I can take in the right direction? Good stuff. Yeah. I, near, I know he's tired. I hear him. You can hear it in his words. I know how he's feeling. Just ask yourself this question. What's the smallest step I can take in the right direction? That's what so the all. Chinese yeah, say, they-
1: isn't it? Every long journey starts with the first small step. Yeah, that um, was uh-huh. low too. And even Martin Luther King Jr. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. That's right. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> we could go on here. And could, a few more, yeah. I'm going to park it for now because I want to get back to some more calls after 10. But thank you so much for sharing. I hope he's listening and that it acts as an inspiration for him. Thank you, Graham. No bother, Neil. Thank you very much for having me on. They wish that guy the best, honestly. Cheers, pal. Thank you. The Neil Prenderville Show.
3: With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie.
1: I'm back to my phone lines in a couple of minutes' time. If you don't mind, I hope Yvonne can hold on. Just one or two other stories that we've been dealing with recently. One is the issue of that abandoned house party. I don't give up my details, but I'm one of the neighbours of that party that went on. The music and the shouting was unreal. They There had to have uh, there had to have been about 100 people inside and outside that abandoned house. The guards were driving around the terrace watching but actually doing nothing. I complained to some TDs and nothing was done about it. Apparently the householders received permission uh, to have the party. Uh, this e- emailer claims that they get guarded permissions. I don't know anything about that. But there wasn't an ounce of social distancing going on. There were people from Ballincollig, Kinsale, Cork and even Dublin at the party we heard. Also, there was talks uh, that um, maybe even people involved in the Carrigaline issue had travelled down there. But I don't know how true that was. I have a short video where you can see the crowd of people in the front garden. And there were other videos going around on Snapchat of the crowds in the back garden. Um, Anyway, many people travel from different estates of Cock City and other areas like Kinsale and um, Balancolic and places like that. I can't understand how this was allowed. The majority of the people, um, I don't want to sound racist. Actually, I can't read that out because what you are saying is racist, so I'll leave that bit out. Uh, There was a group of about 15 people sitting near the play school with big bottles of whiskey and big bottles of vodka. All this was going on while kids were around. It was an absolute disgrace. I suspect our coronavirus numbers will be pretty high in the near future because of carry-on like this. Uh, the Gardaí issued a press statement to me then regarding this Bandon party. They said yesterday afternoon Gardaí, became, and this is from Tuesday, Gardaí became aware of a proposed house party in Bandon town at which a large crowd in excessive public health guidelines was anticipated to attend. Gardaí liaised with public transport providers and put a significant policing plan in place in Bandon for the evening. During the evening, Gardi spoke to about 80 people who had traveled to Bandon by bus. Unreal. Uh, as per Angarda Shikana's ongoing standard for possible breaches of public health guidelines, Gardi engaged, encouraged, and educated these people about gathering in large numbers. The groups were then dispersed, and Gardi continued to carry out patrols in the area all evening. Due to the approach taken by the guardie, a potential breach of public health guidelines and a large public order incident was prevented. They say it was prevented. Others down there said that it went ahead. But later in the evening, they tell me, Gardi made one arrest for public order as a man in his late teens was intoxicated and refused to leave the area as directed by guards. A small, um, small amount of cannabis, suspected cannabis, was also seized from two people. The Gardaí continue continued to appeal to all citizens to continue to comply with COVID regulations and guidelines for their own health and the wider community during the pandemic. Um, Boceran then issued me with a statement regarding the carry-on in Bandon and they said there were no incidents of antisocial behaviour on board any Boceran service between Cork City and Bandon on Tuesday. We adhere fully to public health guidelines to prevent the spread of the disease including the 50% limit on capacity. Seats are marked off Drivers are briefed not to accept more passengers than permitted. We can confirm that this limit was maintained on services between Cork City and Bandon. Because of the constraints on public transport, the government advised that public transport should be used for necessary journeys. Bus Éireann, in common with other public transport operators is not in any position to challenge passengers as to the purpose of their journeys as this is a matter of public responsibility. But we would remind people uh, to wear face coverings. They are mandatory on Boss Aaron services. So there you go. That's a, a response from the guards and a response from Boss Aaron. Boss Aaron saying that they can't um, stop people. They can't challenge passengers, regardless of their age or the reason for their journey. It's personal responsibility. So you're up to date on that one. Although some people down in Bandon believe that the party went on Uninterrupted for long periods of time. Back to our topic just before ten o'clock this morning. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised, please be aware of the different helplines that are available to you now, including the Samaritans on one one six one two three, Aware on one eight hundred eighty forty eight forty eight, and Pieta House on one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. And again, we will post those numbers on our social media platforms and remind you of them just before midday today. Thank you, Yvonne. You've been very patient and I do appreciate it. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Um,
1: Neil. How are you? I'm well. Did you hear the letter that I read out from this dad?
6: I read, I heard some of it. Yeah, Yeah, I just kind of came in in the middle of it, but I
1: heard Uh, enough. uh, um, And Graham then shared his own story, which shows huge similarities between him and the letter writer. Um, and I'm yeah, so sorry absolutely. about the loss of your brother
6: thank you very much I appreciate that yeah, um, yeah I, I, I didn't initially ring to maybe speak about this but um, when I heard you speaking from that chap it just really struck a chord with me um, that it, a lot of similarities also um, and why I was originally ringing to say that if that chap, whoever he is if he wanted my number to contact you guys I would freely give it to him and I could be an independent. I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional. Um, I unfortunately have been through the side of it where my brother was going through pretty much what he's going through and he made his decision and ended his life on the 27th of December um, 2018 and two days after Christmas Day and broke millions of hearts. And I would hate for any other family to have to go through what we have and are still going through because of it um, and will always be going through. Um so really what I wanted to say is he felt he couldn't speak to anyone. And your family are always the hardest because There you see there I probably
1: may because yesterday I said you love your wife. Your wife loves you. Yes. She'll she'll listen. But maybe I'm wrong to say that.
6: Of course she'll listen, but the problem I feel, like I say, I'm not any expert, but just having kind of gone through this, um, my brother Pete felt that he had left everyone down, that he was the biggest, he was the problem. He was the root core of all these problems, which really were non-existent. They were... He also had some kind of a breakdown, which we didn't identify. I mean, I'll give you a little bit of a time scale. We had a birthday party for my mom on the twenty fourth of July, where we had a family get together in twenty eighteen. My sister came home; she was working on the cruise ships, and she came home as a surprise for my mom's birthday. And we just had a family barbecue in my other brother's house. It was really nice. You know, everybody had a great time. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was- July. Yeah. July, 24th of July for Mum's birthday. And it was a really nice day. We sat in the garden with the nieces and nephews, and, you know, there was nothing exciting. We were in bed by 12 o'clock. You know, we were singing along to hits of the 80s, and we just had a lovely night. And all, you know, all the nieces and nephews were rolling their eyes up to heaven. And, you know, it was just one of those lovely family nights. Yeah, and yeah. that was the last time in my eyes that I saw my brother that I knew and loved for 49 years. Um, from there on, he. That day, he said that he'd been struggling to sleep. And um, I think that is a huge key. If somebody stops sleeping, um, their mind is in overdrive. And once that becomes an issue, um, I think it's very, very hard. You know, even going back to when I had kids and stuff, you know, when you're not sleeping, you don't react properly, you don't reason properly. And I think that's where he was at. So he wasn't sleeping. Um, And on that day, he told us that he'd had a couple of panic attacks. Now, he had a very high-powered job and stuff. So, you know, he would have been always someone who worked in a high-pressure environment. Um, He was CEO of banks and and things like that. So, you know, very, you know, a lot of people under him, a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. But he was, you know, perfectly able to talk to it at that point. You know, and he was speaking to my sister-in-law, Mary, who incidentally... um, had lost her sister in the same way ten years previously, um, so we had already experienced losing someone by taking their own life. Um, but even my sister now, who I would consider one of my best friends, she's an amazing person. I don't know how she keeps going. We didn't get it, you know. We didn't understand. We were there and we were sad and we were upset. But you cannot understand the devastation that somebody taking their own life can do. Your question. Every moment you had with them in the final months, you questioned the last phone call, you questioned them going out the door, you questioned what you could have done, what you didn't do, what you can never do again. And these, it isn't just, I know my heart and soul when Pete walked out the door that day and he knew he wasn't coming back. He um, thought he was doing the right thing. So in his mind, he was fixing this problem by taking away what he considered to be the problem, which was him. You know, it was just polar opposites. And if that chap is listening, please, please, please don't do it. It's just, you have no idea. You will not make anyone feel better. You would just, it's devastating. You know, I have things you can't say anymore. I had two older brothers and, and younger sister. People ask me how many I have now and I cry. I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know, you know. You actually, in one part of the conversation, you said that you're no expert. I believe that experience is the best expert. You know, do you know what I mean when I say that?
6: Yeah, maybe so, and that's yeah. why I said if you know if you wanted to pass on my number, I I, I would gladly be an ear for him. He definitely needs professional help for sure, um, but professional help isn't the key because I think. It's getting to the point where you're able to ask for the professional help. When the chap is in the frame of mind that he is in right now, he feels that he can't tell anyone. He can't talk to anyone. So he's not in the frame of mind to get help. I would say he's probably so low at the moment with the thoughts that he's thinking. He would certainly need medication to get his mind to a point whereby he can start to reason properly. If he's feeling that taking his own life is the only way out, then he's not reasoning properly. I know. He doesn't realise that. But his... His wife, you know, like he for six months. Anyway, just sorry I'm jumping a little bit. That's now, all right. <laughs>
1: That's all right. Nervous, um, you're grand.
6: He, like, say we had our mom's party, and then his birthday was in September, and he rang me. He told me he was struggling a little bit, and just to maybe try and keep in touch, but because he wasn't able to. And then it was just it was like Pete was gone. He he, from someone who was running companies with hundreds of people and managing countries for the job that he worked in he he couldn't put add two and two you know he just he was terrified and he got all these he would say he was terrified he looked terrified when I looked him in the eyes he was terrified and in the morning time he said every day was the same he couldn't sleep he'd lie awake worrying making these fictitious things up in his head which by the time it was time to get up he believed And he, so by the time we started our morning, he was already in a state of turmoil where he felt he couldn't go on. And for probably about three to four months, he told me every day that his resounding thought every day was how he was going to do it. And from speaking to my sister-in-law, who had unfortunately been through it before, she has done numerous things. She has brought darkness into light into our local town as a, a show of respect and memory for her sister and um she's raised huge amounts of money and she's just an amazing person. Um but she said, Ask him straight out, you know, there's no point putting around it. Ask him straight out and I did ask him straight out and I said, You know, is this is this what you see as your option? And he said, Yes it is and I said, Have you you know, have you a plan? Because apparently once the plan comes you're kinda fighting and losing that was for want to of a better word and he said it's very hard to make a plan because every time I try to Google how to do it I get redirected back to the Samaritans or back to Pieta House which is a good thing it is but but at the same time he would still X out of Pieta House and Samaritans. he he would still get the information he wanted because he, he he was in this solitary place in his own head where Nobody could help him because he was the problem. and he did go on medication. Um, I think medication is very important, but the right medication is very important because I feel that it never there is some of them that can make the suicidal thoughts worse. Um, and to me, uh, it certainly did make it worse for him
1: and and um, also and also this this letter writer who does refer to, actually he got medication from his GP. He said he only gives me medication that I do not take. I don't sleep because my mind doesn't allow it. I overeat because it's comfort. I drink too much because I'm feeling... And then in the morning, it's worse, of course. Guilt, depression, anxiety, shame. In your brother's case, it's probably all of those. And also, not just the anxiety, but your brother seems to have had... was having panic attacks. He said he was
6: having panic attacks. In, in July, but he was perfectly coherent. He was, you know, he was himself. He was Pete. He was, you know, and we all mocked him and we had a joke about it. And we said, ah, you know, you're always highly strong. You're paying pain in the arse and that kind of thing. And, that, you know, and we all laughed. And, you know, but in his head, it was obviously at that point hugely more. And maybe that was him trying to tell us that was as much as he could tell us, but we will never know that. Um, you know, but from there on in September, he told me... And, and exactly like that chap was saying, like in the morning was horrific. Pete was given medication; he wouldn't take it either, um, because he felt it clogged his brain, and um, and it did because it was supposed to maybe calm him down and stop his mind racing. But he felt then he couldn't think clearly, so therefore he didn't take it. Um, you know, so that there, there, there was that. Then. Um, yeah, his resounding thought became and just listening to from him, he said he loved his family his family too much to ever do that. Uh Pete was attending a counselor, um, because we pushed him to and we became so worried for his life at one point that I composed a letter with my dad and my brother and my sister in law um to ring his counsellor and to um tell her that we what was going on that we felt he wasn't telling her. He was going to emotions. Um And we felt he wasn't giving her the information she needed to be able to help her. And when we did ring her, and I I still have it in a little box of, my little box of heat, as I call it, the letter that I read out to her that day, telling her, you know, that he feels his phone's been hacked, he feels this, that and the other. And we really don't know whether it's true or not true, or even if it is true to the effect that, or to the amount that he maintained it was. He was perfectly coherent, and he was perfectly able to turn it on when he needed to. If he spoke to someone in from work, for example, you know, he was able to switch it on for long enough to to, for people not to know, you know. Um, But when he just started going out less and he said, you know, Pete... It's very difficult when you don't know someone. I know somebody who has lost somebody will always say they were amazing. They were this, they were that, and they were the other. And to them, they were. Pete was a very unusual person. He was highly intelligent. He won scholarships to secondary school in in Rockwell, full scholarship, academic scholarship. From there, he won Dermot Harris Memorial Scholarship to Spanton University to study whatever he wanted. He came back to UL and did a masters, and then he won another scholarship to Tulane in New Orleans. He, you know, he. He was highly intelligent, he could converse with anyone, you know, he met Michael D. He was he moved in those kind of circles. He had to the outside world a charmed life. Um, you know, but he had money, he had he wasn't one who, you know, he loved to have a banger and you know, he wanted a camper van, he didn't want fancy cars, fancy holidays, he loved to go camping, loved to go running, you know, but he lost love for everything in his life to get out of bed in the morning was an issue. And this all happened within a very, very short period of time. Um, so we spoke to the counsellor. We didn't get him into hospital on that occasion. We struggled because he lived just across the border. He did have health insurance, uh, Bupa, but because he was just across the border, he was Bupa UK. So the only hospital he could go to was in Scotland because it was UK approved. I rang Pat and stuff in Dublin to see could we get them in there. And they said, yeah, we can get him in, no problem. Um... I said, look, he, he has insurance and it does cover him for this, but um, he's unfortunately across the board. He said, if you can get them to give you a letter of approval, we will... No problem. We, you know, normally they pay, do a direct payment. He said, but if you can give us a letter saying they will honor it. He said, we have no problem getting them in. Um, but no, the insurance company refused. They said they, that they would send him to hospital. Excuse me, no problem. But it had to be in it hospital, be which we felt was abandoning, abandoning him, you know, casting him away, which was, you no, know, it could
1: visit him or anything. So we didn't feel that was going to help. So him. there was no psychiatric care then?
6: He was attending a counsellor and the counsellor was feeding back to a team. He was within the health services in the north. He started originally with a private counsellor and then he got into the system um, and she was feeding back to a psychiatrist who then would decide on his care. But, I mean, he wasn't being honest with the counsellor. So, therefore, the care he was receiving was not what it should be. Yeah. You know, he was never telling her about suicidal thoughts or anything. But he went from thinking, you know, he loved his family too much he would never do it, to thinking it was an option, to thinking it was a very viable option to thinking that um that it was the only way. And so we got him hospitalized um, um in December and which he found very, very difficult and it was very difficult to do. We we had to get as a family member, it's very, very difficult to ensure that your family member or partner or whatever gets help unless they are willing to say, I want help. And the problem is they don't really want to be that person because there's a huge stigma. I mean, people say there's no stigma. It's okay not to be okay. But when you're so low and you feel that you've left everyone down to have this other little box ticked beside your name to yeah. say that you, yeah. you're you a loony or you're not right or you're because that's what people say, you know. Um, that's That's one step too far for a lot of people. And that's, I feel, why people can't reach out? So, I, so
1: when when people say, and you you do it as well in the conversation with me, and I often say it like, don't don't do it, don't take your own life because you leave torment and sadness and devastation behind you. That that they're empty words to somebody who's who is struggling. Aren't they're
6: they? empty words. Yeah, they're empty words. I rang Pete every day, sometimes up to five and six times a day, and at the end of every phone call, I said, Pete, I love you. We'll get through this. I love you. We'll get through this. And he had two small boys. He was only married four or five years. He had a little boy, Aaron, who was five at the time, and a little boy, Cahill, who was three at the time. They're now uh, six and four. Um, we've had them down the last couple of days, and it's horrific, you yeah. know. They miss their daddy. The small fella gets up in the middle of the night saying, "Daddy's, I'm having nightmares with my daddy. My daddy's brain told him he wanted to die. You know, he just... Daddy's never coming back. Um, devastating. Absolutely Devastating.
1: Um, and when you got the when you got the news, how did you feel?
6: You know, I might say, it might sound stupid, but I can't honestly remember. I he was coming to my house that day. Um, he was released from hospital on the twenty second of December um, into a, into the care of a home care team, which were visiting the house on a daily basis. He didn't have to go anywhere to assess his mental state and to make sure that he was coping or did he need to come back into hospital or how was going to be approached and he was coming down to me I had driven up to him a couple of times and brought him down to just get him out of the house he couldn't he couldn't go anywhere he wasn't able to leave the house you know he he went from this person who had hundreds under him to a lot who couldn't go to the local shop because he just didn't have it in him and um, so he was coming to me that day. His wife himself and his two boys were coming down for a couple of days and I said, look, we'll sort this out. We had kind of a few of the issues that he had been claiming that were the cause of his problem. If he could just do this, if he could just sort this out, this was causing all the problems and he'd be grand. And I was like, okay, well, it may have caused the problems, but now you're at a point where you can't deal with anything. So now we have to fix that so to allow you to deal with it. So he had agreed to do that and to come down. And on Christmas Day, they, they were still visiting. On Christmas Day, he rang me and he said, thank you for everything you've done, V. I love you. And I didn't know, but that was goodbye. And on the 27th of December, he was two, um He went for a run. And... He, they were to leave home at half eight in the morning and his wife rang me at quarter to nine and my first thing was he's gone I knew he was gone I don't,
1: I don't, God you tried so hard you know you never gave up
6: <laughs> he organized everything she wore a high nice vest and he took her off and left it on the path and so people would find him and that we wouldn't worry about not being found and where was he you know he just he thought about us to the last
1: I know I know misfortune it's just so terrible
6: and the sad part was he was doing it for us because he felt he was a problem to us a burden to us and that's why when that chap said you know "I'm, I'm a burden to the burden and I will be a burden if I tell them I would talk to that guy all day long. I told Pete at one point, you know, I said, I would sit with you 24 hours a day to make sure you don't do this. And he'll answer to me because I have a little boy and a girl, which are very similar in age. My son Daniel is only four months younger than, than his, or four months older than his boy, and they are just obsessed with each other. I like, But you have two young kids, you can't do that. I was thinking, But Pete, you have two young kids you can't do this, but that for him, he loved them, but he thought he was doing the right thing for them. You know, it it upsets me when people say that people who take their own lives are selfish because, and even afterwards, that lady of the country, I can't remember where it was that she, she... she took her own life and her kids. That so mm. was the hardest thing for that woman to do. And people cast assertions, people who don't... Understand. I know, I don't it, took, understand. It, took me,
1: it took me years actually to completely change my own thought process on yeah. that I have to say. from I have a yeah. completely different opinion to say 20 years ago on yeah. uh, infanticide and, and, you know, kind of like, these are broken people.
6: Broken, broken. And nothing you say about how much you love them and how much, like, I was like, Pete, you know, you have loads of money. You know, he wasn't a millionaire or anything, but he was comfortable. Um, you know, you had two beautiful kids. You have the job you wanted. You've excelled in everything. You know, you're I don't know I don't know where it happened, but somehow it happened. It happened very, very quickly. And like I say, you know, it's now a year and year and a half ago since I last saw my brother, I have the last picture that I saw of him. Um and all he is now is is someone that we speak about and It's terrible. I know. It's terrible. You know. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've read this letter, um, and um, people have contributed as well. I'm hoping that he will come back to me, but he hasn't come back to me. Um, I hope it's not too late. To be quite honest with you,
6: I hope it's not too late too. And what I would, my original, I suppose, statement that I was (laughs) trying to make, and I I know I've been very kind of back and forth, and and I apologise
1: at the best. There's no apology Um, necessary. uh,
6: if it would help him in any way, I can be his anonymous ear. I have no problem doing that. I'm not an expert. I have been to Peter House myself because they do, and a lot of people don't seem to know this, but Peter House provide counseling for people who've been bereaved by suicide, yeah, so not just people in crisis. so after Pete died, I went to Peter House and I, I spent several months going there, and they did help me immensely yeah um. I still can't believe it. I still look at his picture sometimes and kind of go, it's surreal. I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe, you know, he, he walked out the door and, you know, I, and just knew he wasn't coming back and, and that he thought that that was better for everyone. Wow. And I don't want that to happen to that man's family. So if he wanted to ring me on a blocked number or on a and get a new SIM card or he could email me or he could... Um, He could tell me his name is John Wayne if he wanted. I don't care. But if he felt that he could speak to me and that I could, you know, that would offload some of it. Correct. And that I might even just be able to take some tiny little bit away from him and push him in the right direction in some tiny little way that might start the process of him feeling he can get help or he can speak to someone, he needs to just be a little bit more positive, which he can't do on his own to get to the point where he can talk to people about it or that he can seek help. I don't think listening to his letter that he is in a position whereby he will be able to seek help at the moment. He's not able and something needs to change to get him to that point. If I can be part of it or anybody can be part of it, you know, I'm not saying me, I'm greeting me. I'm just saying that I am offering an ear I have unlimited calls. I could call him back if he had an issue with credit or whatever. I have, you know, he could email me. He could, I never need to know his name. It's not that, just, you know, know that people care and that people that have gone through this, just, you have no idea and you can't get it until the time as you go through And people say all the time, oh my God, it's desperate. My heart goes out to you. I know what you're going through. But I guarantee you you do not know what anyone's going through because every other person, they might have left and they might have had a car accident and it's sudden and it's terrible. Or they might have had cancer and you might have known or not known. Or they might have fallen off something and, you know, you never get to see them again. But the fact that he walked out that door that day and knew what he was going to do I know. and chose to do that... That's what makes it different. And I think people don't understand that. And I'm so glad that they don't because it's a not, not a nice club to be part of.
1: Okay. Well, listen, um, I hope this, this happens and that he does get in touch. And then perhaps at that point, I'll be back to you to see if we can make some sort of an arrangement like that. And hey, only time you.
6: you don't need to ask me. Give All him right. my number. I'll give my email to your researchers or whatever. Um, tell him day or night. Contact me, and you know, if I have two small kids who invariably, when I'm on the phone, (laughs) usually join in. But other than that, um, I, you know, I if I can help him in any way, I will 100% 100%
1: be there for him. Thanks, Yvonne. Appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. Take, take care, take sir. Bye-bye bye for now. Lines open at one 850 You can text 86 Call the Neil Printerville Show now.
0: 1850 Red FM.
1: Thank you for that. This As in all my years listening to your show. That woman uh, telling, you, uh, telling us about her brother is the bravest person you have ever had on your show. God bless her, her family, and especially her two little nephews. Thanks also to Graham, who told his personal story and has definitely given hope to others in his former shoes well never a truer word it certainly was a riveting conversation uh, with Yvonne it really and truly was a lot of texts on this and uh, and emails and many people discussing that letter I do my crying in the rain uh, on uh, Facebook because we shared it on Facebook Michael good morning hi Neil how are you appreciate you holding on I know that people are holding a lot this morning Uh, it's just the volume of calls but um, you also can resonate with the letter writer and maybe also to some of the other calls this morning yeah yeah, um
7: I think But well, for me personally it's 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 um, it's a man thing, you know, that you if you're if you're showing vulnerable or weak to someone that you truly, truly love and you, you when you seem vulnerable then it's 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 just very hard on you. I I think anyway, that's 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 what happened to me. I was afraid to tell people um, you know, I, I thought of suicide for a couple of times myself, but I never wanted to tell my my girlfriend, my, no, my wife, um, about her because I was afraid that, you know, that she'd leave me or, you know, or she, she'd think differently of me and and that I wouldn't be able to cope with it. And to, you know, to somebody extent, were
1: you the oldest in your own family, the um, oldest? Yeah. yeah,
7: I'm the oldest, yeah, and, and, and the oldest in the family, which, which, which is even, it's kind of hard again because I'm kind of, I'm kind of there for the other three lads and I was severely bullied when I was first of age and, and I suppose I, I, from day one, I, I tried to go for my my three brothers all the time, but um, you know, I was supposed to never looked out for myself, and in time that kind of caught up with me. You know, I, I was always always there for them, but I wasn't there for myself.
1: So you can trace your mental health issues back to bullying as a five year old.
7: Yeah, it's it, it's one of the many definitely. Yeah. It, I was when I was. Um, in primary school i was told i had a disease and that no one wanted to play with me and for four years i played on my own in the school because they told me that if i um told my parents that you know that they they would hurt me and hurt my parents and when you're five years of age you can imagine that's all you have in your life so it kind of it kind of stick with you so so I,
1: you were so, ostracized from 5 years of age yeah school. yeah yeah, yeah, and more than one, so, one. There's usually a leader to the bullying. Yeah, yeah there, there was there was
7: two in my class, and they had a brother older, and they had uh, they had relations in the school as well. So, like, I'm not saying that this gentleman that wrote in the letter has any issues like that. My all, by I all know. means, uh, you know, and all I'm saying is I can understand where he's coming from by by telling. You know, you 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 do feel vulnerable. You know, I suppose you're. And you couldn't tell that.
1: anybody because of the threats that were held over your head. Yeah,
7: exactly. You know, and it 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 was just hard. It was just it was very very hard to be honest. And um, looking anybody, back, you know, did
1: anybody notice?
7: Uh, no, I kept. I actually asked my mother. I think it was recently enough um, about it, and um, she said no. I was never sick. I'd never say I want to stay home from school. I'd never do anything, but. Um, I my out recently, kind of through my on my therapy and everything like that. I think that if I if I, I was afraid to stay at home in case I said something to them, you know, are the reason why I was. Oh, I know, I know. So,
1: and no teacher but, picked up on it in playground time or anything like that.
7: Um, not really, no, no, but they weren't strong enough anyway. They kind of washed over it, you know. But you know, it's it just tough. But that, that that poor man, like he's. <laughs> <laughs> Just like myself, there, he's thinking about oh, what other people are thinking and and afraid of what other people think of him. Like I was doing for so long, and still do a bit. But he should think about himself if he could, you know, and, and how he's feeling and, and deal with, with with that. You know, because it's it, it's, it's impossible to think of, of what other people are thinking or feeling like. You know, so telling his wife, I know you were saying he might do that, but I think his wife is the closest person to him. And if if that didn't go well, then it'd be even harder for him again. I'm not saying it wouldn't uh, go there's, well.
1: there's a risk you there. Know? Yes, yes.
7: Yeah, yes. I, I know, I know it's small, Neil, but it's it's just in your head. Then you have the the idea that maybe your wife thinks you're weak. now, like you know, you know. So that that's, that that's the way I was thinking. You know so that, that's all but I, I just feel, feel so sorry for him I, I really do
1: and you how know, did you I, get to a better place I mean the, you know, the, inc- the incident you're referring to from 5 to 9 years of age yeah I oh, I've been to be honest,
7: I've been in therapy I'm 38 now I've been doing trying to better myself since I'm about 22 and um, I, I just kept at it and kept at it and for myself for some reason. I've, I've always been able to talk. I've been lucky, but recently I, I started doing a course there in UCC and now I hope to finish it and do a dip in relationship mentoring just,
1: just to help people along I think, the way. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think there's fierce commitment on behalf of individuals like your good self to try and get fixed, you know? But other yeah. people who don't experience what you went through and have the normal challenges of life of which there are many You've all that plus trying to fix yourself for all of those years. That's incredibly brave, you know.
7: Oh, it is brave, but it's just something that, that that you have to do if if you want to to enjoy your life and live your life. I mean, I've, I've two gorgeous kids at home, like, and you know, I, to think that I to think that stick with fatherless, you know, w- w- would kill me. Like, you know, even that last call there. I've... You know, it's 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 just it's, it's just a rotten thing, and, and it's the mind the mind plays tricks in you. It. It's it's nothing, it's nothing anyone else can do, nothing else can say. You know, you just have to sit down and and be with yourself for a small bit. You know, and, and thinking that you're not broken. I always thought I was broken and that I was different to everybody else, but I'm not that different. It's just I'm willing to talk; other people aren't. You know, there's so many people out there that feel that the same as everybody else, but they don't talk about things. They don't say anything. So, then the person that does talk, thinks that there's something wrong with them. You know, and they're, they're, there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's just communication. That's all.
1: Is the stigma know? being broken, though?
7: You know, it slowly is but surely. Very, very slowly. But, but uh, like, 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 your car there, Graham, like, the men definitely... I think I don't want to be sexist, but like, I mean, I think I find it a bit harder to break it because, you know, it's seen as uh, you're not being macho or you're not being you know, a man. If if you don't talk about it, if you don't, if you, if, if you See, don't. To yeah, he says maybe.
1: that in, in his letter, actually says, uh, among other things, I'm a hero to my kids, a man's man to my wife, a joker to my friends and a leader amongst my teammates and a coach to the kids that I train um, yeah. So this is the I, 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 image that he wants to portray to people, but he believes it's not the real him, which is a weak, pitiful crybaby.
7: That's exactly it. That, that was me. I, I'm the joker in the whole, in, in the group of my friends. I'm I'm the fellow that that that, that, that oh, I was joking. I'm I'm the fellow, you know, trying to be a macho man and all that, right? But it, it it's not the true me, like it's not probably not the true that gentleman either. You know, he has this facade he's had to put on, and now all of a sudden. Um, you know, something's after changing and he really says, hang on this is not the true me and uh, I, I've been living, you know uh, what uh, what what I think other people want of me and that that, that And, that I'm, will tired. Time. Yeah, I'm, and tired. I'm tired yeah. The mental, I, Neil, I can so understand the mental drain he has a couple of times I go home and you just want to go to bed because, not because you're physically drained but you're mentally drained your head is swimming, you're just tired, you just want to go to sleep and wake up further and I'll be okay you just all you want to do is is, is just switch off thinking that's the, the thing but unfortunately the mind doesn't switch off just like that for you when you want it to you I, hope, he, I hope
1: he's listening to and also um, does come back to me you know because
7: uh, well, well I mean like every other phone call phone or yeah when I say ringing going can give my number as well and talk I don't know if I'd be any help to him, but he, definitely he's more than welcome to, you know, because I think there's a big thing is that like counseling I've done to, you can go into a counselor or, or anything and they, they don't work for you because I know two of them that have asked me questions and I actually said to them, if you had any idea of what I was going through, you wouldn't ask me that question. And I left. So, you know, if you have someone that has some sort of understanding, it, yes. it, it means a lot. I know, like, you I know,
1: know, I know. You know. know well, from experience, absolutely. I was yeah. just saying that to yeah, Yvonne, you know, actually. She says, are, no, I'm no, yeah. I'm no expert. I actually said to her, actually, I think you are, you know.
7: Yeah, you are. I, I think it's a massive thing if you've been involved in it so much way, like, you know, it's going to study it, it's going to do all that, but you've been right in the middle of it. It's very hard to, to ask the, the questions
1: that, that the other person might want to answer. I know, I know, you know? I know, I know. So, Listen, Michael, you know? thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate you know? it. And best of luck to you and the family, all right? Perfect. Thank you very much, Neil. Cheers, lovely Thank you. guy. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Um, just a couple of things for you. Alan was in touch and he said, you know we hold a meeting and penny dinners every Tuesday and Friday at 7 o'clock and that man is more than welcome to attend. We share exactly what that man is on about. I hope you can get this message. So there are, there are a lot of different things. Even on a slightly connected note, I suppose, dudes and dogs are now walking the regional park to make friends with each other and just have man chats. Dudes and dogs. It's for men only. And a dog to bring is optional. It's at 10 a.m. on Saturday, and there's one this Saturday, the 11th of, uh, of July at 10 a.m. They meet at the car park behind Christ the Light Church in Balancolic. It's called Dudes and Dogs. Jessica says, I cried yesterday when you read out that man's letter on air. You should be very proud of himself for writing out how he feels. I can only imagine how my many times it took him to get it right. And at that, it probably doesn't come close. I hope he follows up on this brave step by reaching out and talking to someone, be it a stranger or his wife. All these comments you've been reading from people show he has nothing to be ashamed of. His family will absolutely step up and support him. But my heart breaks for him. I'm so glad mental health issues are starting to lose their stigma and that so many people are now willing to listen and help. And good luck to him, says Jessica. Back after the break.
0: The Neil Prenderville Show. On Twitter, at NeilRedFM.
1: Poor man, he's so brave to be able to share his story. That's the first step step in acknowledging his problems. You should be open and open up to his wife and talk to her. She'll understand there is no need to be embarrassed. People will understand and get you the help you need no matter what you feel yourself, you can get through this. Thank you, Laura. Although some people who have been throwing through it have been saying to me that, that, that the wife talking to his wife could well be a barrier for him in the event of him feeling or her not being able to relate. And then he won't be able to talk to anybody, depending on how if his wife reacts negatively. So I understand that aspect of as well. So sad for him thinking he can't talk to anyone when his wife and family would 100% be behind him. And help him. It's harder said than done, though. I hope he gets the help he needs. God love him. Mental health is uh, is horrible. Uh, I beg this man to reach out and pick up his phone and call one of the helpline numbers, please. He won't regret it, honestly. I've been through this myself and it's still ongoing and it really does get get better. You can only live one day at a time. Don't think about tomorrow. Just get through each day. Ring the numbers for mental health and talk about how you feel. There's no shame in being human. We all have a story. Just phone them. It's very valid, actually. Those helplines wouldn't exist if people didn't need to call them. And uh, those helplines wouldn't exist if there was only one person in the world suffering with the issues that he's suffering. So in that... He should also get strength in numbers, I believe. Now, just another call on this. Um, but I won't be, um, you know, I will we'll come back to this. D- don't get me wrong. But maybe later today and, and tomorrow, depending on what you guys have to share on it. But like, I will just take one for now and then, uh um, do other things and, and, and jump in and out if you don't mind. I hope he gets in touch with me, I, I really does. And I, I really do. And uh, again, I hope it's not uh, too little too late. But Kira, good morning.
8: Morning Neil, how are you?
1: So I was just chatting there with a lad who was uh, bullied from the age of five oh. told he has a disease and that no nobody played with him and he was ostracised for four years devastating oh. consequences for a child
8: Oh, I, I can relate to that very much I was bullied from when I was in fourth class um, because I can still remember the day I wore the wrong pair of shoes on a non-uniform day and since I wore those shoes my life became a living hell in a small town and I'm 34 now and these people if they see me will still point at me and laugh at me because they just it was like there's a song I listened to by the rattling kind called All Around the Town and that song I can relate to because that reflects my life very much so and what I'd like to say to people is bullying damages people long term it has a profound effect on me mentally emotionally Physically, I ended up in two relationships where I was um, exposed to domestic violence because I thought that's what I deserved because of what these people did to me. Now, I've had intense counselling and anyone that's been from, for counselling knows they go through everything and obviously my counsellor went through my family of origin and things like that and it turned out that a lot of my, I suppose, issue go back to the bullying that I went through. Now the school did nothing, the board of management did nothing and I was expected to put up with this and the attitude from the board of management was sticks and stones may break your bones but names will never hurt you. Now I think that's a disgrace and about two, three years ago I went into that school to get access to my file because I went on to be a primary school teacher because I felt I could give a loss to that career and I still do primary school teaching and I love it. And I have the experience to know and when to recognise bullying.
1: Yeah, you (laughs) see the signs. Good for you.
8: Oh, you do. You do. And, you know, I like you look at, you hear of children bullied and things like that and parents will say, what can I do? What can I do? What I'll say to parents is you are your child's voice and you need to... Basically, be that child's voice. When a child is young, you don't understand what's happening. I was taunted for my hair. I was taunted for my coat I wore to school. I had no friends. No one would play with me. I wasn't invited to birthday parties. I basically became this person that was non-existent. And I remember tights I wore to school at my school uniform. There was something wrong with them. My clothes came from a thrift shop. I was beaten up a few times and it spread like a virus, worse than the coronavirus is what I say now when I think about it. But I'm in a good place now because I've had very intense counselling and, you know, like that, evening, you, that Do you the,
1: tolerate it now in your 30s when, when they still taunt you, do you?
8: Um, well, the way I handled it is, like, there was a time where I could not go back to my hometown because I was so afraid. Um, I used to get, um, like, a feeling of anxiety would come over me, and I would kind of think, I can't face that, I can't face that, I can't face that. And I lived away for a very long time, but I I had my counselling abroad, and... The counselling I had really helped me. And, you know, it, it doesn't go away. It leaves its mark on you as an individual but what I will say is it's very manageable if you know what I mean like I still have to do work on myself regularly and like when I was going through the counselling and all this started coming up again I was back on that playground I was back in that school where I was being bullied and everywhere I went and I left school then and I went on to secondary school university and everything and even when I was in university and I'd come home on the weekends these people would see me and they'd be laughing at me and calling me all types of names, and it eventually just got to the point where I thought, you know, something, I don't really have to put up with this anymore. And I left and I went traveling and did all those fantastic things. And it was a kind of a journey I took where I kind of rediscovered who I was, but those years of bullying took time out of my life and took a time for me where I should have been enjoying myself. And okay, living I
1: just have one or two I just have one or two other questions that I just want to, no. to ask you. Can I do that after 11? We can finish the conversation properly. Okay, because Jennifer. for now I'm out of time. We'll come back after 11. Thank you so much. Back on hold there. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prinderville <laughs> now.
0: 1850 104 106
1: Red FM. Okay, just one or two questions for Kira, just in conversation, really, because I had to cut short there at eleven o'clock. So, Kira, thanks for holding. You, you, no you, s- you said uh, you said that you went back years later to get your file in school. Were you successful? Mm-hmm.
8: No, the school told me that the file had been conveniently burnt in a fire. Um, and but there was I a file
1: where things catalogued in, in your childhood.
8: Um, no, I don't believe they were because it, my parents would have come to the school about. the and the principal of the school um, arranged a meeting for my parents at ten thirty PM on a Friday night to discuss the situation. And there was no meetings within school hours. And it got to the point that my parents there was only a month to go in sixth class, and my parents pulled me out of the school. And I didn't have the things that other people in sixth class would have. And when my father went down to the school, he went down to collect my books that were in the school and the teacher more or less told him, go in and get them yourself. And he had to go into a class of young children to get my belongings. I don't believe the school handled it correctly. There was no bullying policy in the school mm-hmm. at the time this happened to me. And for me, I think a lot of this comes down to the managing of it within the school environment itself. Was, was secondary school better? Well, I would, I would have gone to another secondary school locally and it's it kind of transferred into oh, that school then. Yeah. And they, there were boys involved at that time and they were threatening to beat me up. They would take my homework off me. They would threaten to cut my hair. And it got to the point there then that I got pulled out of that school and I got put into another school and I never had any problems there. Mm. I was like, for who I was. I made friends there lifelong friends there who I'm still friends with today and they nothing happened to me there. So in my hometown, it was like a virus that spread and there was no stopping it.
1: And today when you visit...
8: When I visit now, um, I'll give you an example. I was home visiting about a year ago. I was in a local pub with my parents and a girl came up to me saying, saying all these things to me, trying to be nice, who would have been involved. And my mom noticed that there was a group of them sniggering and pointing at me um, while she was talking to me. And it's that type of thing that I have to put up with now. But I don't put up with it because I choose where I go, who I'll be around, and if I see people there, I'll, I'll walk out because I don't have to be exposed to that type of behaviour anymore yeah, because yeah, yeah. I t- take my journey and it's it's damaged me fractured me but it's very manageable and I had to have very intense counselling about it all and I had to relive the whole thing and you know it, I was in a very dark place I kind of I kind of got some,
1: Yeah some just move therapy. around a little bit there Ciara just losing you a bit Oh
8: yeah sorry Yeah Okay. Sorry, I, I'm in a very good place now. The counselling definitely helped, but I suppose for me, I I do think bullying needs to become a criminal offence. It is damaging so many young children. Children are taking their lives, and it has lifelong oh. effects on. It.
1: Okay, and can I just ask? It does, of course, clearly, and we've been hearing these kind of stories anytime we mm. bring up the topic. But just on that point, as a final point, with regards to bullying, now is it handled better and differently now within within school scenarios, for instance?
8: Me, personally, I think it depends on the type of teacher you have and the politics within the school. If you have grounded people in the school that are dealing with this and won't tolerate it, then they, they will manage it and they will resolve the issue. But then you have some schools and they they don't want to know about it. So it that still out. exists.
1: They turn a blind but eye. I, there, there is a yeah. policy that the, that the bully is spoken to, you know. Um, that, that, that often, often strikes me as if the bully is almost made out to be a victim them you know
8: well, exactly. It's like when I was going through it, I was told one of the girls didn't have a mommy and daddy like me, so that's why she was behaving that way. And it was that I was lucky that I came from a, a proper home with a mommy and daddy there that loved me, and she didn't. And that that was what I was dealing with. And it was kind of like if it became such an issue in the school; they wouldn't deal with it because I know from teaching myself all these things need to be done. Documented. There needs to be incident form, notes from meetings, and I couldn't get access to that in the school. And my counsellor advised me to go back and face the school, and when I went in, and I stood there and I spoke to the principal who was there at the time, but I got no satisfaction. And she basically told me I was spouting off a mantra about wanting this child. Maybe so,
1: so, but at least you did it. At least you did I, it.
8: Yeah, I did it. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was the best thing I did. It put closure on everything for me and I've moved on with my life now. But what I'll say to anyone whose child has experienced it. Be that child's voice because you're the only one that can be when you're in that situation. Okay,
1: okay. Listen, thank you so much for uh, coming on air and holding over the news. Appreciate it. Look after yourself. Thanks, Kira. Cheers.
8: Thank you.
1: Bye. Doing good work now as a teacher yourself and picking up on the signs and uh, making all the difference. Lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Depression, anxiety is an awful thing. People, your families, and your workmates see you functioning. And that's all most people see. Most people don't see the darkness or understand it. You can't blame anyone because you can't explain to someone that doesn't understand this. You can't understand unless you've been through it or you're going through it. When the darkness hits you, and most times it doesn't take much to do it, it is a struggle. My heart went out to that letter that you wrote. Bernie says, uh, talk to someone. Absolutely no shame whatsoever in how you're feeling. Trust me, there's so many people going through this. You made the first step today. Uh, Keep going. I suffered myself from depression at a high level. I know how he feels. You feel like you're the only person that this is happening to. You feel you're a disappointment in life. But there is good there. I suffered first from postnatal depression. Then the years went on. I suffered more and more with depression. I didn't want to be here. Recently, I got diagnosed with chronic depression over pain. And I had to have a back operation. I had CIPC counseling um, through my doctor's help in so many ways. And he is helping me to get through this. There are literally reams and reams of text. The first words, Ronan says, are the hardest, but the most relieving when said. Open up. You'll be surprised at the help you will receive. Don't bottle it up. It doesn't work that way. Um, Jackie said, I would say that a lot of people are feeling pressure. With the restrictions being lifted, there will be new fears and concerns. I hope he does talk to somebody. Yes, I think that maybe COVID exacerbated issues for people who are struggling. Uh, It certainly hasn't helped. Back after the break.
0: Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 86
1: 810 Red FM. Okay, I will revisit this again. Perhaps uh, not this morning, but certainly tomorrow and Monday. And I will go through many of the, the texts and emails that I've received on this topic. So it's far from over. But there's a lot of other things that I want to deal with. Don't feel that I'm closing the book on this. I am not. So I will come back to it. I promise you that. A lot of other things we've been discussing. Just before I move from it for a while, okay, here is it completely the other perspective with regards to um, you know, somebody who, who just can no longer you know um, cope and, and takes their own life uh, this is a texter who says as the child of a father who killed himself over 20 years ago I have probably unpopular views on suicide uh, it is not brave, it is the most selfish act anyone can do they had these children and have failed them hugely by killing themselves how dare they They have taken their pain and transferred it to their family, multiplied by ten. My dad has given me and my siblings years of misery. Questions and questions going around in our heads and no answers. Feeling every emotion under the sun every day. A constant sense of torture and turmoil given to us by the person who should have loved us the most. I say thanks for that. So forgive me if I have little sympathy for these people. I have years of living with this under my belt and it doesn't get any better. So if you're having these thoughts, do me a favor. Don't take the easy way out. Think of your kids uh, who you brought into this world. Get help. There's never been more of it. That's an interesting perspective of somebody living with the consequences of a dad who uh, took his own life. Thank you for that text to 0868104106. Food for thought, guys. So I'll come back to many of the texts and emails and calls on that in the hours and days ahead. A lot on uh, extra charges for COVID testing, incidentally. My son was sent home from his work today by the COVID-19 officer. He was showing symptoms of a cold. He was told to ring his GP, which he did. Immediately, they looked for a down payment of €40 from his card. Man. I later checked the HSC website to find out that the GP consultation and COVID test is free to the patient. The GP paid by the government and the COVID test paid by the government as well. But still, there was 40 euro taken from his card. It's now half past four. My son has rung the surgery twice to be told the GP is too busy to speak to him. So not even consultation yet. Now, you paid for it, like, but never got it. I really think this is very shoddy behavior by this practice. Please read out this email. I would like to know, have GP practices asked other people for payments for the GP phone consultation? Uh, and COVID test that's already been paid for by the government, says JC. Um, My husband's experience in the matter private. He was attending a cardiac consultant there since COVID started. We knew that today's visit we'd have to pay for as private hospitals are private again. We received a letter prior to his appointment stating the charges he would incur for two visits. Uh, One was to collect a monitor, um, and two days later, €120 to meet the consultant. This is when we heard of an additional charge for €75 Euro as a day patient. Um, and then uh, hospitals trying to charge me as a private patient. Last week in the a and D and the COH. I was kept overnight on registering the department. I was asked if I was coming in as a public or private patient. I stated public. The staff were so busy, but just unbelievably positive, kind and caring across the board. The staff were a credit to the hospital. Less than a week on, I'm still recovering at home. And I receive a letter in the post containing a Leia claim form, pre-filled out with all my health insurance details, highlighting the section looking for my signature, um, if it was to be signed, and I, that I signed it during a. I should have signed it during a CUH visit. There was no cover letter to identify the sender or the reason for the form, no details, etc. Just to return it to the patients' account department at the CUH. Um, I feel it is deceptive of the hospital to try and charge people's private health insurance in this manner. While I certainly won't be signing the form, it's done in such a way that those most vulnerable may feel pressured into signing it and returning it. Can't come on air, but I'd like your listeners to be aware of this. It's not the first time it's happened to me. She went in as a public patient, which she stated, but still they look for her to sign the form for a private health insurance to pay out. There's lots on extended paternity leave which I want to come back to tomorrow but this kind of interested me because Kev said I just had to contact you as I recently, you know you're talking about maternity or childbirth, I recently saw photos on social media of a newborn baby. I'd say the umbilical cord had only just been cut at this stage. That in itself is wrong to post those kinds of photographs in my opinion. Why can't parents just enjoy the magical moment of their child being born? without having to rush to their phones and get her up on social media while Mammy hasn't even got her first stitch yet. It's not like they are front row at a Bon Jovi concert. Now, can anyone tell me what the buzz is with the dads who now whip off their tops to let Junior lie on their chest in the delivery room? Have people completely lost themselves in all sorts of daft parenting books or Google guides how to be a parent? Mother Nature is very simple. The baby is born... Baby and mother bond for the first time in nine months of pregnancy, skin-to-skin contact, and maybe then it's okay for daddy dearest to have a hold. Wake up, people. It's moms who are pregnant, not the both of you. Don't get me started on the we are pregnant bit. Do people say that, we are pregnant? Do couples use that term? they do? Let mom have her special moment with the baby, says Kev. Well, it's news to me if there is a new trend now of dads whipping off their tops. Um, to let Junior lie on their chest in the delivery room. I guess it goes to show that it is. We are pregnant. Anybody got thoughts on that? Is that actually happening? We'll come back to that. And then, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll come back to text and emails in a few minutes' time. Let's get back to our phone lines for now. Tony. Hello. Well, at least somebody got a refund from a cancelled holiday. What's the back story?
9: Yeah, um, okay, I can't, I I can't
1: understand you. Can you move around a little bit?
9: Yeah, I'm on the line anyway, Neil, so I'm not on, 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 on the mobile.
1: Okay, go ahead, we'll see if we make the most of it, go on.
9: Can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, fair enough, fair enough, go on.
9: Um, we uh, we booked the Dominican Republic for the 28th of April for 15 nights. Uh, it was uh, all-inclusive, uh, and we booked it with TUI. Um, I paid half of it by credit card, by debit card, and I paid half of it by cash. Can you still hear me? I can,
1: By half and half, so, yeah.
9: Okay. So, anyway, um, basically, they notified us that the holiday was cancelled. <laughs> you were going to the
1: Dominican Republic at some stage, weren't you?
9: Yeah, we were going on the 28th of April.
1: Okay, yeah.
9: Right. So, anyway, um, it, it came out that, basically, the, you know, the COVID virus was up, the flight was cancelled, the holiday was cancelled, and according to the, uh, the Department of, of Foreign Affairs, according to the rules under the DATA, that we were entitled to a full refund, that we didn't have to accept vouchers. And they were recommending at the time that we didn't accept vouchers, even though Shane Ross had made the statement that basically he was trying to enforce a situation where the the vouchers um, would have to be accepted. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And this we were talking
1: three thousand one hundred eighty-four euro from Tui, yeah, so wasn't what
9: it? What happened was my wife is a very persistent lady, right? I called her the minister for finance and I. <laughs> so, uh, basically, it was eleven weeks, phone call after phone call. The emails. We sent emails. They told us to get on to man point. Man point was closed, uh, and it, uh, basically, then this team came out. That and the 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 vultures, that Vodka was recommending the vouchers. So I said to her, I said, if the voucher comes, I said it'll be valid for a year, and you couldn't tell me. No, no, she wouldn't wouldn't tolerate it. She kept forming, kept forming very persistent. She so persistent, now she gave give policy to That's so, the first
0: anyway, time I've heard that one. <laughs>
9: <laughs>
1: so she anyway, gave The paracetamoledic. What
9: happened. The Her persistency paid off because she was in an hour and a half when waiting, waiting, waiting on the phone and it was a fifty number and it was their Dublin branch. And basically she got onto this girl and the girl asked her about the reference number and she gave her the reference number. She was all apologies, the, the, the girl on the phone, very pleased from all it can get her. And basically, she said to the um, "Look, the money will be in your bank account tomorrow morning." So I said to her, I said to Bill, "Yeah, I said," and I said the Pope is going to change his religion. But the <laughs> following morning, the money was in the bank.
1: <laughs> she was a dog with a bone, wasn't she?
9: Oh well, <laughs> my God! Yeah, I tell the story. You know, I, I reckon she. I, I, told her, I, I said she should follow. up thought for election for the minister of finance.
1: <laughs> 3,184 landed in the bank account. Yeah,
9: we, we get it back, yeah. after uh, The only thing we need is that it would make a recommendation to people that are purchasing holidays. Some people pay for it by cash. We had a problem some years back. You probably remember whether it was an airline operating or a cock at chip magic.
1: Yes, for a brief period remember of time. That? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
9: yeah we, we were after buying a house in Alicante at the time. And basically, they, they were an excellent service. Their service was absolutely oh excellent. Oh my God, I flew
1: them once or twice and they were fantastic. Now, probably too yeah. fantastic to survive.
9: Yeah, and basically what I did was, I said to her, I said, the club, book the flights, I said, for the year, I said, with them, because I said, they're oh, excellent, and whatever the extra cost is, it's worth it. But as it happened, it folded. The company folded. And I, had in, I know it was 2,200 I paid up at the time, because at that time there was no economy flights. But I got every penny of it back from my visa card through the Merchant Bank. So anyone that's booking a holiday with a travel agency, I would recommend that they use their credit card. Because if the company falls, then COVID virus wouldn't be covered on it. But if the company falls, they get their money back from the Merchant Bank.
1: That's a fact. You'll never get cash back on a cash transaction because you would be way down the pecking order of debtors. Creditors, I should say. And, and good words of advice. Thank you, Tony. Well done to Burr. But what happened to your daughter then? She's going to Florida. Yeah. was supposed to, isn't she?
9: She's going to Florida. And again, I won't mention the company because I know you don't like names being made because of legal situations. Yeah. She booked with a prominent company here in Cork. Um, I would say a reputable company. But they told her she would get the money back if the holiday was cancelled. If the holiday was cancelled. But apparently, uh, they're staying in Orlando, but the company can't refund their cash, which she's entitled to, under the DFA rules and the OETA rules, because those in Atlantic will not return the flight fees.
0: So what will she, so she get has, back out of this?
9: She has to settle for a voucher. Now, now, the voucher is valued for a year, I can gather, but if the company, if, if the, if the company falls... Well, you know, like the IATA and the DFA are really doing
1: nothing about the people that are being caught at the moment. How did she pay the six grand? She paid the six and a half grand, yeah. In cash? Uh, I think so, yeah.
9: Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, but she was a package holiday.
1: But she'll get a voucher to the value.
9: To get a voucher to the value yeah. yeah, but uh, and that would be redeemable after a year. if She didn't want to because you
1: wouldn't want to be going to Florida anytime soon, no, sir. No,
9: no, yeah. and then I've got another friend who booked Toki with another travel agent, all inclusive as well. And uh, basically, she got on to them and they were on about a voucher. A voucher, and she said, No, she paid cash, she wanted cash back. He said, Yeah, but he said, You could be waiting, he said, you could be waiting a year. But again, I suppose this is a different context of the situation. If these travel agencies are bonded by the IATA and the Department of Foreign Affairs are involved in this as well, and people aren't getting their money back, well, there should be a big question mark put on the IATA and what the travel agencies are paying them for the bonding.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Of course, the clever thing to do, finally, is to get Burr, your wife, to do all of the holiday bookings for family and friends. That would
9: make. Uh, because well, 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 no, my my phone could be the <laughs> week. So, but, uh,
1: She's the but, one for me. If I wanted to go on holidays, I would get her to look after everything.
9: Uh, uh, and <laughs> um, no, definitely, she was quite persistent about it. And the girl where she got onto was very polite, but they gave us, they told us to phone Falcon in our in in, uh, um, to, in, in, in Point. Couldn't get onto them. They gave us the phone number of another guy card David who was looking after Cock. Couldn't get onto him. I know. Every time we emailed Manhattan Point, we were getting emails back from London. on am not even doing the recording reference numbers that you were with A- ATOL. And, oh,
1: I know. I know. Uh, it's it's, it's not we, made easy. It's not made easy. But
9: basically. My, my, like, I, I would certainly be querying long-term with any politician that will come to my door about uh, travel agencies uh, tied them with the IATA and the rules and the restrictions
1: are out there and, and, and they're not being enforced. OK. Delighted. Yes, delighted that you got your money back. Thanks for taking the call. i let you go. Going to keep moving. Thank you, Tony. Now, yesterday I ran out of time with regards to uh, shout-outs and God knows I have a lot of them. Thanks to Clancy's for some wonderful gifts there in the recent week or 10 days or so. And also thanks to Oak Fire Pizza who've sent us lots of vouchers for large pizzas to give away to listeners over the coming days and weeks. The hottest wood-fire pizza Pizza place in Cork is also going al fresco because they're also part of the Princess Street Eat on the Street initiative in the city, as they say, in the city centre sunshine. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, they're in Princess Street, Bridge Street, Bandon and Ross Street in Kilty. You can order they're open three to ten every day for takeaway and delivery. www.oakfirepizza.ie. So my name is Terry and I'm originally from Hazel Road in Toker. Terry Murphy. Been living on the Gold Coast in Australia for nearly 20 years. My ma'am Eileen Murphy is 80 on Sunday. She's been out here a few times, God bless her. This time, I was going to come back and surprise her for her 80th, but the damn COVID-19 crack happened and it all turned to crap. I would love to be at home, but it's not uh, at this time. A virtual birthday on WhatsApp will be the job, though. It would be awesome if you could give her a birthday shout-out on air. It would really put a smile on her face in these hard times. I heard you have the voice of a tenor. About the voice of a tenor, but I wouldn't turn and say no to a tenor. And that's from Terry and Polly and all the grandkids on the Gold Coast. Uh, cheers, Neil. I hope you and yours are doing well during these times. Yeah, and you guys too. Melbourne's gone back into lockdown. For the next six weeks, Melbourne's back in lockdown. Um, it'd be great if you gave a shout-out to my mom and dad who'd be 50 years married on July 4th. Now, forgive me now, I know that some of these dates... Our, uh, our past, but I just had so much stuff. They were married in Blackpool Church and celebrated their union in the Metropole Hotel 50 years ago. They also celebrate my grandfather's uh, retirement on the same day. My mom Joan loves your show and is a very proud Cork woman from Blackpool, a true Northside gem. May my mom and dad celebrate many more years together with love from their children, Miriam, Sarah, John, son-in-law Ray, grandson's uh, finn and milo great names thanks a 1000000 uh, happy to oblige with that sarah lovely story of 50 years of wedded bliss started all out in blackpool maybe if you've a voucher for my mom who turned 50 last week we had a venue booked for a birthday party for her which of course was cancelled due to the current health crisis so a treat for her and her grandsons she's so good to us and a massive fan of the show uh, you don't tell me her name I'd love to nominate my brother. He worked right through the lockdown while farming with our dad every day. He was put on a COVID payment in work, so his mortgage has now been pulled and he's left in limbo. Anything as a gift would cheer him up, says Claire. P.S. Thanks for keeping me sane while working at home during lockdown. A shout out, please, to my wonderful daughter Donna. I've been cocooning since March due to underlying conditions. I'd be lost without her. She does the shopping, pays the bills, collects my pension and everything I need. All this is done while she's working from home and mother to my gorgeous grandson, Adam. I'd love if you include her for one of your giveaways just to say thank you. Um, and that's a lovely one from Frida Keneally. Thanks to Red for keeping me sane. One or two more. I'd love, uh, I would love to get out and feel normal again. My husband Brian's birthday is next week and we'd love to take him somewhere to celebrate the special occasion. Well, at the moment, it's it's pizzas, guys. So I hope you feel normal if if perhaps you're lucky enough to get a pizza. And I don't know who'll get what because there's just so many. That's down to Mark. But I'm happy with the shout outs for now. Uh, Morning. Love the show. The kids really love a nice treat at the moment. They've been so good during the whole lockdown. My daughter missed out on communion and birthday and my son is nearly two and is in a cast He's a bit fed up this week, so uh, thanks a million. That Dylan and Lily-Rose Finn. So there are many like that, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning, and then we'll do some more shout-outs and also some Instagrams just this side of midday. Where do, where do I start with this, actually? Um, the other day, Seamus uh, sent me an attachment of Nana Nora, right? Um, who was online, it's kind of self-explanatory, I'll j- just play this in a second, but it was a video of her, and she was, um, giving us all instructions. She's nearly 85. I think she's 85 in a few weeks' time and lives in Blarney Street, um, most of her life, but she emigrated to Fair Hill for a brief period, but she's a true and true Cork woman. But she was giving us instructions as to how to prepare the very best Irish stew. Um, and it was fabulous just to sit back and watch her, you know, with all of the different ingredients and the vegetables and putting it together. Um, and uh, I want to talk to, uh, member of the family, in a, in a few minutes' time. But I just want to play little bits of the audio because apparently there's loads of different audio clips of Nana Nora. But this is her telling us how to cook the perfect stew. Hello,
2: everybody. Today I'm going to show you the way I make the stew for our own for dinner. I forgot to tell you all along that my gas cooker... The red cook son, is 60 years old. And I'll show you to when you're looking at it, what kind of a coke is it? No, I always, when I do stew, I always get, say, a bit of steak instead of stew pieces. But like when you have a big family, you'll have to get in. Um, you'll have to get the stew in pieces. You no, know, and just put in, in the meat. No, no, when to have the meat, I know. I put in. A bit of salt and a bit of white pepper again. Now, yesterday, no, I know, um, I cut all the meat into this and they're sipping out all uh, ice. And I have to a big onion and celery. And they see what you leave even sipping all night, the juice off of them then. They'll be lovely in juice. And they can boil away now. And when they boil down, I love the gas. And I leave a similar paper for no that. and then I'll show you what happens and the pistol. When you, when you file up in, when you cover it, make sure that you always don't cover the hole up, because if you cover the hole out of the pot, then I file all over it. But if you just keep your cover like that, lock and don't buy it will not file out in the No, the next thing I must do now, I must put in the pistol. I'll show you now the pistol and hope to be to put out just the potatoes. Now what you do now is you get two big spoons of pistol. Now if you haven't it in toast, you can mix it in a bowl or a big mug or something. Now next snow, I put it on the cold top and I keep storing the pistol room. I keep storing the snow until all the lumps has gone over Now No, I put it back in now, the back of the pistol row into the stove. No. Give her a good start on her own now. I know I'm going to clean the potatoes now in it after day. Yeah, so they'll be lovely you know, you know when they'll be done. You no know, wonder they're, I don't know, I you when they're all done out, I sure when we'll eating no dinner. And the next thing I want to tell you, you now we'll be told to stew then, and when you're eating your dinner, if you put it little the drop of in the brown shed sauce over it, it'll be beautiful. Makes it a little lovely. <laughs>
1: Timmy Ryle is her son. Timmy, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Lee. How are you? That's incredible. I really I She's just the sat best, there man. watching. isn't she unreal? Like the cooker's nearly She's as done. old as herself. But the secret She's weapon the... is the brown sauce at the end, is it? That's it, my prinky sauce over there. Printy oh stoneware over there. Oh my god. It's just it's so lovely just to listen to her voice. And just yeah. now, of course, we're hearing the audio of this. This is a video, of course, of one of many that were done during lockdown, is that right? How
10: we stopped it off was she we sent to be putting things on Facebook and she'd asked the money to put on something for the two grandkids and my youngest daughter while well, we were all in lockdown just for a laugh and when he put up it kicked off. So I think at the moment now for the thing she have a, she have a quarter of a million views. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not bad at all for so an old lady, eighty five years of age. It's something
1: there. else. During lockdown, was it um, herself and the grandson Eddie? Yeah. Were Where they boarded up together, so he started oh, yeah. recording her stories. Exactly. She'd she just done a small thing for the grandkids,
10: and then it kicked off from there. And then they were emailing, and could you put another one? So she used to a story from all every Sunday night.
1: That's just a clip of her, her. Her stew sounds delicious. That's a great trick about steeping the veg and then using the yeah, water as made. stock.
10: You've got all the flavour into it.
1: You were very lucky, though, uh, with the fillet steak for the stew,
10: huh? Oh, the best of she gave the best. You could bring in anything, nah, you'll have to pick it up. She had her own butcher for years and years and years.
1: Great story. I love them. I love that. I <laughs> love cox She was a stall holder for for many years she in the was court.
10: She's been the court here for years and years in and Cardinal Street. What'd she sell? Oh, I love second hand towards. And they don't be, be- on much now no more. That was a couple of years Ah, yeah, years those year. days. Those All days, days yeah. just be out selling that thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: And she rare a big family? Was there many of you? No, I'm
10: the only child. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> so I'm fully still on my legs.
1: Yeah. Uh, so was she born on on Blarney
10: Street? She was born up in Presentation Road. That's around the corner from Blarney Street. And then when she met me, Dad, they were living just below the High House, pub, Four. And then uh, then we went down to Conway's Lane. I was on the Conway's Lane in, in Bairner Street. But when the new houses came, then they were only smile small little houses that time. Yeah. We moved up to the top of the hill directly opposite the telephone next to There only oil fields up there that thing. Yeah, I So, yeah. unfortunately, my dad died when he was young, 46. Oh, dear. And her sister was living in Bairner Street all her life. So she was Anthony me and then to move back down. And after a few years, me man bought the house where she you know.
1: Amazing, isn't it? And is she great stories about growing up on great the north stories. side and the characters great and everything? Stories. And are you recording all of those now?
10: don't we be recording them. I have loads of them. Loads.
1: So how many how many times has the video, say that one for instance, been viewed? Because I hear people are picking up on it all over the world. Yeah,
10: all over the world, Australia, uh, Canada. Canada, Australia, everywhere you name, every email you name.
1: And I think we're going to share them as well a little later on, because they're great yeah. fun, that one. Tell-
10: they're only fun. That's all she was done for a bit of fun for the lockdown there. And she's still cooking, is she? She's still cooking. She made a studio now yesterday. And um, <laughs> she's 85 now in two weeks' time. So one of our favourite little places is a, a little pub and restaurant and the went in the Clownie there. And we have a booked in on for Sunday week to go down.
1: Ah, that'll been somebody else do the cooking for us. so she'll What's be spoiled. And I have another bit of audio here in a minute. It's something to do with the the Lord Mayor. What's all that all about?
10: Oh, that was years and years ago. I went married long. I was only married about 12 months, but we sent away for actually living with me mum and dad at that time. (laughs) And herself and her sister and another woman that used to be together. They just go down to Glenville to Cape County to the dance that thing. <laughs> That's right. That's the year Yeah, yeah. So after I went down in the bus and they went, they had go little night old and whatever happened when they came out, the bus was gone. So me mother says, what are we going to do now to get home? <laughs> so there was a fellow passing and they asked him if they paid him, would he give him a spin on his way back to car? So they gave him £5 that thing. Ah, wow, big money. And he said he'd go along the corner to get the care. So they were still waiting
1: for them and Oh my world. god, what a horrible thing to do! A so fire no one th-
10: around, so they walked down to the village in Glenville and they banged at the have barracks. So the guard rang, there was no phones on mobile phones, on. we hadn't even host phones that day. So <laughs> me and my said, Sean French, the Lord Mayor, lives along the corner. But would you ever be able to ring him? And he'd ring Timmy or he'd call up to Timmy because Timmy
1: hadn't a phone, but the Lord Mayor did, is
10: it? No phone, but the Lord Mayor had. I'm inside in bed about quarter three in the morning. There's snow tick on the ground and a bang <laughs> at the window. So I go to the wife, she says there's something after happening there. So I said, who's there? And he said, this is the Lord Mayor of South French around the corner to me. Your young mother ran, they two women are stuck down in Glenville. So I had to get out of the bed. The only place you get central uh, that time for 24 hours, you know, You don't remember not as oxidative. You I'm sure a hospital in the West. So there's a hotel, you know. It was, it was, forth. yeah, yeah. On yeah. the way to Glenville, I had to get the heat to blow them before I picked them up. <laughs> and when they pulled in, they were standing in the door, they were like three little ice flies and So I took oh. my mother about three weeks to get the heat back into my body after that. The son
1: picks up the mother from Cades County in Glenville, <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord Mayor comes round to tell you I get out Lord of bed. <laughs> yeah, we know the stories about Longo. Hang on there I one remember. second. Hang on there one second. I don't want to interrupt you in full flow, but Mrs. Healy also came from Conway's Lane and Blarn Street, apparently. Good morning. right, Mrs. Healy? Hang on a second. Are you there? Hang on. You should be there now. I don't know your first name, Mrs. Healy.
11: Yeah, Veronica.
1: Lovely to hear from you. You're a neighbor then. You're a neighbor in Ananora.
11: I am because we came from Conway's Lane and we were a big family. There were the Lane and they had a shop in the lane. Now, could he remember that?
10: I can remember the shop.
11: Can you? You Lynn remember the
10: Lane I, I, I was I was very young. No, I was only two when we left Conway's Lane, but oh, I
11: can no. remember after the shop. All right, what number were you in Conway's Lane?
10: Just, I couldn't tell her the number. What oh, number were
11: you, Miss? Oh, we were number eight and we were number 11. Me Annie had three houses rented only in the lane and she also had a shop in the lane and she was quite well off from the shop.
1: She was quite well off if she had three houses yeah, rented.
11: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but were only rented now, remember. They were only rented.
1: Oh, was it a sweet shop, was it, or did it sell everything? No,
11: it was, it was a bread, bread, everything. everything. She had, uh, and she had on the book and everything. She gave people as on the book and all that. Happy there days. was a well-known dealing family, the Linhans. And the Winkinsons.
10: My mother would know them well, though.
11: She would. Would you tell her about them?
10: I will, of course. I tell them. You, the you can actually buy a loose flag and a match and you know, all that, eh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you had the <laughs> book. You had the book, Dennis. <laughs> you <and it's>, you <laughs> paid up then at the end of the week.
11: You could be borrowing matches from the neighbour. You'd even borrow matches. You'd bury a cup of That's sugar. Right you could buy, a, you buy a quarter of a
10: biscuit. <laughs>
11: From
10: a big box, wasn't it? Yeah, there was yeah. coming a big the kind of the biscuit. You'd get about four biscuits if you wanted it in. That's
11: exactly. It right. great times. It right. right. was a great, that was a great lane. That was a
10: great lane. It was,
11: it was the gateway. It was the down. down to the school, you see.
10: On the bar, you're on the bar. Right. The bar as well. You would right.
11: have to come down to Conway's Lane to get into Blarney Street, school. And and street there was, school. There was a lot of house shops, but me nanny had a big one. My nanny was doing a load of dealing. She was dealing all her life. And she didn't have to buy any of the houses. They were all rented. Three and six a week
1: for a house. She must have left a fortune after her, did she?
11: She did. She did. <laughs> she, she had a great. She was. Her and her sister were in the pub every night up in Betty Caulfields. Betty
2: Caulfields? <laughs>
11: what? what were they doing what? in the pub? Drinking like they had, they had so much business going on, wheeling and dealing. They were in the pub every night of the week, up in the snug, in batty Coffee's up the little hill. You couldn't, I'm telling you. a oh, great days. Sounds great like a days.
1: It sounds like a cork equivalent to Del Boy, you know.
11: Schools, and horses. the <laughs> things that were going on in Blarney Street. And we oh had my schools. God. We had Blarney Street school. And we had the girls' school down the down the bottom.
1: All right. So all right,
11: they all, all right. came down from Grown down Conaway's Lane. It was the narrowest lane you've ever seen.
1: But come here, Timmy. Um, n- yeah. n- n- Nora's hearing isn't great. That's why she can't talk to me, is She there? can't come on the phone. Yeah, she wouldn't be able to hear you good. But I hope she All can right. hear this conversation, though.
11: And, and ask her what? If Number one. do one. one you know the, the vital thing is, what number was she? <laughs>
1: I'll find out the number for and we'll get around yeah. Mrs. Healy won't all sleep it. till she knows the number of the house. I, I know, I want to know the number. <laughs> I really left with the
11: number. <laughs> see, I, I would know Nora once I know the number, what house she can. I know all the houses.
1: I'll be back to you what with knows? the number, don't worry, and then Timmy Healy. will be back to me. Thanks a lot, Mrs. All all Le- right. Healy. Cheers. Yeah, go on, yeah, Timmy. She
10: might have known me, ma'am, sister. You
1: sell by the
10: first office in Stimbley and still share this. Uh,
11: she was sell on the second hand
1: to us from the host That Kathleen C. He was on so right, like the Right, I do. I yes. oh, you do. Oh,
11: you know her. You don't need to know her house number, though. I don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> Only kind of number I want to know.
1: All right, girl, all right. It I want to give, give the last word to Nana Nora with regards to the Lord Mayor's story. Um, right. But I'm going to share some of her vid- videos uh, when we get off the air, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Neil, i just
10: tell you one thing before we leave. Yeah. If you were going like to tell the story about the time they got new curtains in the house up on Mount Eden Road, that was the best story ever. And is that recorded? It is. It's recorded now.
1: Ah, yeah. Well, you see, that's up to you, because I just asked the lads for you to get two different stories that you think would right. be the best. So they came back to me with the Lord Mayor and obviously the Irish Jew. But if there's a third one, I'm gladly played
10: you- I'll get you the best one. The people that have a great listener will have a great uh, fun with it. Well, we'll get
1: on that and I'll play it in the morning, all right? Be back That's to you then. Fun. All right, Timmy. Okay, Cheers for now, my man. Here's Nan and Nora and uh, that story about um, Cades County and the Lord Mayor, Sean French.
2: Well, no, it's me and myself, and two more friends, Jenny and Mrs. Hawkins, we went to it and sold the country. And, oh, Timmy drove us stone today. To the dance anyway, and Jimmy said, I'll come down and I'll correct you when the dance is over. So we said, Don't because the bus would be going back, and we come back in the bus. Call, we caught, we were really inside, and when we came out, the bus was gone, and we had no one to give us a lift. So we went up the town anyway. We were looking around, and there was no one out. So we decided we were outside the Garth's Barracks. And we said we knocked at the gart's door and we asked Mr. Rennie where you get us home. And he put his head out the window upstairs. And he said, You what do you want? And I said, Garth, we're eh we're in a we're at the dance, and we can't get home, we missed the bus. And he said, What do you want me to do in it? He said and I can't do nothing in a pop oak tree, he said. So anyway he hunted us away. So we were done and we? we didn't know what to do. He always was stick on the road. I told you shark hopefully and I nearly drive it the cold. So I said to me, Me, do you know what we do? If I phone Sean French and he was the our here at the time, I asked him to he up to my house to call Timmy would Timmy come down to bring us home. So anyway, I phoned our That was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I told him what happened. I said, we can't get home. And we're in an hour way um, And I said, uh, would you be any chance you go up to my house and call Timmy. And ask Timmy, would you come down to bring us home? So he said, I will, Mrs. Roy. He said, uh, ring me back in about, uh, about 10 minutes' time. And uh, I'll leave you now. So we were asked to go the phone box, and uh, we were waiting for him to, uh, to ring him, and we rang him anyway, and uh, he, said, uh, he said, Timmy is on his way, don't uh, to collect you. So anyway, Timmy came down, and oh my God, we were like, uh, we were like all big blocks of ice, we were all freezing, and he, Timmy was all home, and um uh, Timmy had to go in there with me because they said killing me and Timmy had to tell Dennis that he was with us all night and that the car broke walked down and that we got stuck on the road and that's how we were so late to make it up with it. After that, me couldn't get over that I was after sending an arm here for a message and she was always drawing up and always having a great time over it.
11: The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106.
1: Okay, more on that tomorrow. Nana Nora's stories, the one on the Lord Mayor and the one on Nana Nora's stew. The secret weapon, of course, is the uh, chef brown sauce that you add at the end of it just as you're serving. It's delicious, To Mrs. Healy, the number on Conway's Lane was number five. So now you know who you have, I suppose. Mrs. Healy wanted to know the number of the house. Number five, Conway's Lane. That's where they were living. A lot of people saying they could listen to those stories all day. Okay, so we'll have more on that. And I'll also be coming back to a lot of the different topics that we dealt with today and during the week on tomorrow's program and next week as well. So feel free to get in touch. Text 868 Email Neil at uh, redfm.ie Incidentally, Bina Reardon is 91 years old living in Kentark. She makes up food bags every week and they bring them out to feed the homeless. Hazel says, we surprised her with flowers and chocolates to say thanks for helping us since we started doing this. A wonderful initiative. She got in touch with me on my Instagram page. My sister's turning 60 this month. She was go to a cruise and meet up with her two sons who live in Sydney but that's all overboard now. I myself have a birthday on Thursday. Not 60 yet but not too far from it. I'd love a gift for her, as as I know she would too, if you have any spare ones going around, says Tina. I forgot to say, she hasn't seen her sons in a long time. She'll probably kill me for getting in touch with you. Thank you, Tina, who got in touch on Instagram. A voucher for my daughter, 21, next week. Her name is Sophie O'Regan. Morning, this is Flower. Hope you're well. I normally listen to your program on the radio while I'm working. I really enjoy it. Uh, How do I get one of those wonderful vouchers? Well, by just listening, and hopefully we'll be able to sort one out. Just wanted to say how much I enjoy the phrases you use every day. Recently you used one that my dad used to use, right on the nose. I'd love to know where that originated from says your number one listener, but I haven't an idea but I'm sure there's somebody out there will tell me and then I got another per- person, a, a neighbour of mine from many years back, Leon Buckle Sheehan got in touch, she says uh, just to let you know that mum is 80 uh, I got this uh, maybe last week so happy birthday to Eleanor Buckle who is 80 years old, uh, imagine sometime last week, an old neighbour of mine in, in Beaumont, mum and dad will be 58 years married next week, so we'd love if you to give him a shout out, thanks so much, says Leon happy to do that, listen to show every morning due to go to Lanzarote in October that's all off so a piping pizza would be great instead and I wonder if you could mention my daughter and that's from Paula Cooney could you mention my daughter Sarah and fiance Daniel due to get married on Friday the 3rd but all going well it'll happen next year also, myself and my husband, uh, we celebrated 34 years married on the 11th, or at least we do, which is two days' time. Love listening to the show. Please give us a shout-out, says Miriam. So that's some from Instagram, and there are lots more which we'll do tomorrow. So for that, uh, we'll enter you into our draws for our Oak Fire pizza. But to close off for this morning, if I could find my damn paperwork, we also have uh, some wonderful tourist uh, attraction vouchers to give away, and I have a lot of them to do between now and maybe the back end of next week. So I also... I want to introduce some new ones to the list, which I'll do in the coming days. But for now, our phone lines are open for family passes for Spike Island. We'll give away a few of those. And also some family passes for the old Cork Jail on Strawberry Hill. You want to take the family up there. So for Spike and for the Cork City Jail family passes, get dialing now. 1-850-104-106. Have a good day.